3: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Good teams don't fluctuate the, the way we fluctuated. Win three, lose eight, win seven, lose five, win three. Like that's... What, what that indicates to me is a team that doesn't have a foundation and, and something to fall back on quickly when things are going bad. We allowed, When things went bad, we allowed that, to, that snowball to gain momentum going down the hill. And when things were going good, that snowball gained momentum going down the hill too.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was Doug Armstrong over the weekend, and the praise is already pouring in on the Air Comfort Service text line. 314 399 9646 oh, yeah. is the text line to get involved in the show. Blue the fans are happy. Boys, you really nailed the idea of no trades till March 2nd or the 3rd, huh? Okay. Listen, well, Doug Armstrong uh, had other ideas. And that's what it sounded like on Saturday on the Blues broadcast where Alex Ferrario during the pregame show was able to carry that live for you right here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN as the Blues did make it official trading Ryan O'Reilly and Nola Chari to the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have now traded Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, Nola Chari and Nico Mikola. And we are still a couple of weeks away from the NHL trade deadline. Alex, we're going to get into this. Basically from start to finish today Over the course of the show But your your big takeaway From the trade over the weekend Finding that out late Friday night That O'Reilly was going to be moved along with the Chari Was what? Well,
2: quick side story I didn't even realize that he was traded My wife was the one that alerted me of that You guys told me I was out to I was finishing up dinner My phone was upstairs and-, and we were watching a movie And she's scrolling through Instagram Goes, oh hey, O'Reilly was traded I go, get the hell out of here And I looked at the phone And I'm like, this is a fake account I didn't get Trump this time. It so was the a real account. Beliefs, they
0: tweeted out the original deal uh-huh. and then they deleted their tweet. Did they? And so when you guys you guys sent it to us in the group chat and I click on the link and it says this tweet has been deleted. I was like I, I literally sent you guys oh that was a fake tweet. Yeah. You're like no it's real. It's like no. O'Reilly didn't get traded tonight at 1030 on a Friday. No
2: way. So my original reaction was, well, this is going to be a haul because if you traded O'Reilly and Achari, you got to be getting something better than a draft pick back in return. The first thing I did was I saw the prospects and I'm thinking, okay, where do these guys rank in Toronto system? The one is deep down. The other's an NHL, AHL journeyman. But then I saw the picks. And to sit there and say that you got a first round pick, a second round pick, and a third round pick, which mind you, that third round pick is the Ottawa Senators' third round pick. And if they don't make the playoffs, you're talking about a top 10 pick in the third round, which is essentially like a second round. This is just me trying to put my spin on it here for you guys. I I see what you're doing here. Spin rate. Initially, when I looked at it, I said, damn, that's a really good return for a UFA that we've heard a ton of people say. May might fetch you a second round pick might get you a first round pick, but there's a lot of concerns with O'Reilly's speed play and injury. And then you throw a charian who I did not like to see trade away, but Hey, that's what the blues did. I thought that was a great move by Doug Armstrong and to the Texter's point of, Oh, Hey guys, real nailed that. Not making any trades until the deadline. This was the same circumstance as the New York Rangers trade, where it was a great offer that Doug probably said, I can't pass this up to get three picks in the first three rounds and two players, it's a good return for a two pending UFAs that you might not have had a chance to re-sign.
5: Yeah, I, I like the return they got in the deal. I, I think my biggest takeaway when I saw the trade was, okay, Army was basically where I was, where he wasn't buying the three-game winning streak and saying this team was a playoff team. And he essentially said that yesterday, where he said, you know, i he's made up his mind for quite a while now. And, and I think that's the right decision. I, you look at this Blues team, and though, yes, they had been winning three in a row since the All-Star break, we've seen them play good hockey for like five games and they revert back to who they are. I mean, the last two granny can't take much into that because they trade away their captain, but you can see they're not a great hockey team this year. They're a bottom 10 team in the NHL. And I thought Army made the right decision. That was my number one takeaway was army's not buying what the team had been selling over the last three games and knew they weren't a playoff team. So
0: he had to go down this route. So we were listening to the 32 thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, by the way, Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet will join us coming up at one o'clock today with all of the latest on the blues Elliott Friedman, I think, said it best when he was discussing this deal and what led Doug Armstrong to make the move. One general manager
2: said to me, Mm -hmm. Doug Armstrong probably wanted to do it before the Blues won any more
0: games. I think he's right. I think he saw what we all saw on the outside looking in where Friday we came into the show and we asked the honest question of, are we really going to fall for this again? And the answer was something around like a maybe and Doug Armstrong's answer the answer to that question was a resounding absolutely not I'm not falling for this again I've seen it before Tanner you mentioned it they've played quality hockey you guys remember early November when I was out and I said that the Blues were going to beat Colorado and then they were going to go on a run right they beat Vegas beat Colorado played good hockey we've seen this and then it always bounces back. It's the rubber band effect where they go up and then they go right back down to what they were previously. And it's been a consistent theme throughout their season. Just when you think they're starting to get their game back, maybe it's an injury. Maybe it's a game that goes poorly. Maybe it's a a specific aspect of their game. The PK for a while, five-on-five offense for a while, goaltending there for a moment wasn't great. The defense all year has been a problem. They've just got these leaks that start springing up around the boat, and now the ship be sinking, guys. Like, it's done. Over. And Doug Armstrong made the decision that I'm not believing in this team, The best route for me, not just for this year, but for years to come, is to make the move that we all know is coming and to make that move now. We have chosen our direction, that choose-your-own-adventure path. They have chose their path now, and the path is we're not good enough, and this is our best way to be able to get better quicker. The first thing I thought of
2: when I saw the reaction... Uh, Friday night when O'Reilly was traded, and the fans saying like, "Oh no, I can't believe he's gone!" And why would you trade him? Because yeah, you started to win some games. Don't fall for it again, and don't act like that you didn't want this back in November, in December, in January, because everybody was saying it. Trade these pieces away, trade them all away, and start over. And that's what Doug's doing. Doug did not fall for what this team and honestly, if I'm looking at this from a fan's perspective, I'm glad Doug did, did this Absolutely. because for the last three years, I personally look at it as he's kind of been in denial with the team. Now they've been good at times last year. They went on that run where in my opinion, they nearly beat Colorado and could have beaten Edmonton, but the years prior to COVID shortened year, the, uh, the, 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 um I'm trying to think. The, I guess the year following that, that wouldn't have been last year because the COVID shortened year was three years ago, right? It was ago, the right?
0: bubble, then the COVID shortened year, and then last, year, last yeah. year. Oh, wow, that's wild. So
2: the COVID shortened year, we've seen this. Even last season, the first chunk of the season, we saw this from the Blues. And Doug viewed it as, hey, this team's good enough, and they're going to figure it out and turn it around. And they did, and he bought into them last year by getting Letty, and they nearly, did it, and they, they nearly accomplished it. But Doug didn't do that anymore. Doug didn't sit there in denial. He said, no, this team has continued to fall into the same pattern for three straight seasons. I love the quote that he used that said, when teams get into adversity, they're supposed to have a foundation to fall back on and this team does not have that foundation. We've got to find that foundation. He did that. He said, screw it. We're trading these pieces away. We're getting a new look to this team. Everybody is on alert for the rest of this season so I can evaluate them and then come off season time when I'm the most intriguing man in the National Hockey
0: League? I'm going to make this team into what I feel it needs to be rather than what it's looked like. It was supposed to be. So here's what ESPN.com or was written about the blues trade on ESPN.com. This comes from Greg Wyshynski quote, this trade gives the blues three first round picks in 2023, their own, the lower of the Rangers and the stars, and then the Leafs that they just acquired in this Ryan O'Reilly deal. Considering the quality in this draft class, that's a pretty good spot to be in either for the blues to add prospects as they move into their next phase or for Armstrong to flip for more immediate help in a league with more than a few teams still determining if they are wanting to buy or sell at the NHL trade deadline. You have to respect Doug Armstrong's brutal honesty in what he's done through these trades. Again, that comes from ESPN.com Alex, when you look at what they've acquired so far for O'Reilly, Vladdy, Achari and Mikola, they have acquired two first round picks, a second round pick, Probably two third round picks, depending on what happens with that Rangers deal, Sammy Blay, and then a couple of prospects in your assessment, have the blues received enough for those four players so far in their trades? Absolutely. Because
2: Doug didn't want prospects. He wanted first round picks. He wanted an arsenal to use come draft night to move around and potentially move up potentially trade for assets or maybe get an NHL ready player they got what they needed to in these players because the main two were Tarasenko and O'Reilly and I was skeptical they were going to get a first round pick for Vladimir Tarasenko and they did and they also got other assets involved with that and then the return for Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari that's right on where you need it to be because you got a first a second and third right now you have the third most picks in the National Hockey League in the first three rounds in the upcoming draft, which could be tied for the most after the Barbashev trade and whatever else Doug decides to do come March 3rd. So, yeah, if you want to try and flip this team around and avoid the rebuild and do the retool or the reset... You accomplished that. And I'd give them an A with this uh, with this draft or trade
0: so far.
5: I I think I would give them a B plus on it all because I think they've done the right job and done really good in getting the assets in terms of picks that they need. I just think the prospect pool has been a little underwhelming. I don't think
0: the prospects matter to Doug. No, they don't. Doug. They were throw ins, I feel. I think he wanted the picks.
5: I, I think that's fair. I, I would still assess it as a B plus because I do think they've done very well in terms of getting the picks. I, I do think the prospect pool, though, should have been something that should have been a focus as well in some of these deals. So but I can't knock them for the return that they've got. I, I think they did very well in both deals. I just would grade it a little bit lower because I think the prospect pool ended up being lower than what my expectation was going into the trades. So. I would
0: give them an A plus. I they got two first round picks. I mean, you got first round, but like, let's be honest about Achari and Mikola and what they were likely to re- get in return. We were talking about this, Alex, before the, I mean, start of the new year, really, on, hey, if you could get late round picks for those two guys, you're probably in a pretty good spot. Let's be honest. Most teams probably view Noel Achari as a really nice, helpful fourth line center. That's what he should be on a quality contending team. That's what he was brought in to be here in St. Louis, and then he ended up having to do more than that for them. And did so admirably. Nico Mikla is a nice third pairing defenseman, making $2 bucks this year. Those types of players typically get you mid to late round picks. So I, I'm almost just like throwing them into these deals. If you told me beforehand, you're getting a first round pick for O'Reilly, you're getting a first round pick for Tarasenko, I would have accepted that. They not only got those picks, but then got more. I think if they were to try to get those prospects that you're talking about, Tanner, you don't get the first round pick. You're now resigned to getting a second round pick and a more uh, significant prospect. So I would rather have those first. I think it does open up a lot of flexibility for them moving forward. I'm giving them an a plus. Not only did they get a good return for these guys, they jumped the market. They didn't have to worry about what's left after uh, Kane or at the time we thought Taves, Meyer, like all these dudes that are getting moved at the deadline, they beat them. They beat these teams to the punch and they were able to get the haul that they've been looking for. So full kudos to Doug Armstrong for making what is probably a very difficult decision, but a necessary one to be able to get into the next era of Blues hockey. In about 15 minutes or so, we're getting into some NFL quick hitters, including some of our top takeaways from the XFL's opening weekend, including... A rule that we watched in motion in the XFL on Sunday, I would love to see the NFL implement into their games. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so, questions and answers at 11:45. But coming up next, the Blues now have the assets to get involved in any trade conversation that they would like to be a part of. Does that change the way that they view this year's trade deadline? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
3: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: The equity in the NHL now to, to have is, is first round picks. We now have three. And I, I wish I had a crystal ball where I could tell everyone how this is going to work out, but I don't. Uh, we could use all three of those picks to, to select players and then all three of those players We'll get then put into our development process and then our American League team and then be in the NHL at some point and have long careers or they might be gone before their names are ever called.
0: That was Doug Armstrong over the weekend talking about why the Blues made these deals when they did alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. on Brandon Kiley. The Blues now have three first round pick and picks in the upcoming draft. They have two third round picks as well, or at least that's what's expected. They also going into 2024 have their own first round pick, two second round picks and a third round pick. Alex, when you look at the the draft pick capital that the Blues have to offer right now, whether v, via um, a deal at the trade deadline or going into the summer, they've got a lot to work with. They've also got some of their own prospects still in their system to be able to work with and players on their own roster that they could deal from as well if needed. They have the assets to get involved in any trade conversation that they wanted to be a part of. If they wanted to go talk to Timo O'Mear or to the Sharks about Team O'Mear, they could go do that. If the Flames are serious about moving McKenzie Weger, they could go talk to them about that. Any deal that they want to get involved with, they are basically where Keith Law said that the Cardinals were last year during the season where he said, hey, they wanted to make any move for any player in Major League Baseball. They could at least get into the conversation. What do you think this does for Doug Armstrong over the next couple of weeks? We'll talk plenty about what it means for the summer, but over the next couple of weeks, what do you think it does for him?
2: I don't know if they're involved in a trade on March 3rd to where he trades multiple first round picks for a player. I believe what David Panyota told us last week is the spot that Doug Armstrong's in. Now you're going to have all of these draft picks, maybe four first round picks, depending on what you get for Ivan Barbashev you're going to start the conversations of potentially that hockey trade. Because sometimes those hockey trades are difficult to pull off come March 3rd, especially when you're at the dwindling minutes of the deadline. But this starts the, the conversation that leads to the draft night. And the draft night is typically when we see those big trades go down, if not a couple of days after when you get into the open of free agency. A perfect example is Alex DeBrinkett, who was traded from Chicago to Ottawa at the draft. Now, that involved the fourth or the seventh overall pick. I don't remember which one Chicago had, but that's a lot more desirable to a team than, say, two first-round picks that are 25 through 30. Do the Blues decide to throw in their ninth overall pick if they don't win the draft uh-huh. lottery? No? Uh-huh. No, you keeping it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. You're going to trade all of them to number 1 for Connor Bedard. Yeah. Yeah. Because that team's going no, to be that. No, we're just winning the lottery. Oh, well, hey. I like, we're like that. We're not well, picking then, ninth. I don't know why you then, had us I know that's what? what the odds say, but don't tell me the odds. Then guess what? You can get any player you want in the National Hockey League. I've, I've got one. I want Bedard.
0: No, I want that's Connor I'm McDavid. Talking
2: about. I Kale McCarr. Maybe Victor Hedman, hey Alex Petrangelo. If they get the
0: number one overall pick, we are going to do a true own adventure of like, would you rather have Connor McDavid or Connor? If they get the first overall pick,
2: all of this changes. Hello, Buck. Because if they get the first overall pick, they're going to draft Connor Bedard, and then you've got the rest of those picks, which again, it's difficult to make the move with. But I view this as Doug is going to start having the conversations. Maybe something gets done with a Timo Meyer or a Jacob Chikrin. But this is going to lead to the draft night, and before those picks are made, Doug's going to find a way to acquire an NHL ready forward. I was just looking through this. It's it's been a rare occurrence that the Blues have drafted multiple times in the first round. The 2006 draft, the 2007 draft, and then when they drafted uh, Robert Thomas and Clem Costin, when they drafted Tarasenko and Schwartz. But in all of those scenarios, minus the Thomas and Costin, it's been a team that's in rebuild mode, so I don't view Doug making all of those selections. Doug's going to probably make one of them, and the rest are going to be moved.
5: Yeah, I, I don't think he. I don't think he's going to be moving these picks right now before the deadline to add something to this team. I think it's going to be something that's in the summer. I, I do think he'll end up using potentially two of these three picks that he has right now in the first round to draft somebody. And maybe what ends up being is he ends up trading two of the picks to move up in the draft and ends up selecting what their pick and then whatever else they decide to do in moving up. And it is a very deep draft class. As was uh, in the piece today with uh, Jeremy Rutherford in the I can't remember his name, the prospect reporter for the Athletic Pr- Proman Cor-
2: Corey Proman, yeah Proman.
5: That thank you. Uh, so I I don't think he's doing anything with these right now at the deadline because I, I think he wants to see if he can increase their odds. I mean the the cut we just played. Uh, from Elliott Freeman in the last segment where he said he he didn't want to win any more games right now. That's why he made the deal. I think Army's going to play this out, see where they end up getting these picks once the draft lottery is done, try and improve their odds a little bit by tanking, basically. And I just can't see a sneer in what you added to this team now. I don't think – if you think this is going to take three years, which is basically what he said, and I know we'll talk about this later, about saying you know, we might be going the route of the L.A. Kings – I don't know if there's a player you look at right now and say, you know what, I'll trade a first-round pick and we'll bring him into our core. I would wait to do that until you're competitive again, and I would save these picks until the summer to figure out what hockey trades you can do.
2: See, the only flip with that is if a team's willing to move a core piece that you feel like fits in, I'd do it right now because I don't care what those picks
0: are. I mean— We're going to be bad either way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, but what I mean is, like, if you're trading— because I just don't see them, unless the the player is really good, him giving up his pick. It's going to be the two picks he's acquired— if a team and this is just hypothetical because it's not going to happen, but let's say Ottawa calls with Alex to Brink and says, hey, we can't re-sign him. Give us your two first round picks you've acquired and we'll give you to I'll do that right now, because if I'm Doug, I'm going to say, well, I don't know. These picks could be 31 and 32 in the National Hockey League or they could be 20 to 25. I don't know if teams are going to be willing to do that yet because they want to see where those teams finish. If Toronto gets bounced in the first round that's a lot sexier of a pick than if if Toronto goes all the way to the Stanley Cup final and wins. So I just think teams are going to be hesitant to make the move until they know what it looks like. But when they're ready to pull the trigger, Doug's going to move them.
0: Yeah, I think if, they, if you're looking for what the most likely move is for the blues at the deadline or what they would maybe like to do at the deadline. It's moving one of these contracts on their blue line. Yes. If they could do that, whether it's a hockey deal of, Hey, we don't want this contract on our blue line anymore. Do you have a forward that maybe you could give us in return? Or uh, will you just give us like a second or third round pick? Maybe a conditional. I don't know what it exactly would have to be, but something for one of these defensemen, I think that's what they would like to do. This came from Jeremy Rutherford over the weekend. I I think it kind of went under the radar. It was at the end of one of his stories. Find all of his work over at The Athletic. There's been more talk lately of the Blues trying to move a defenseman with term left on his contract. Perhaps even Colton Pareku, who has seven years remaining. In fact, there is a sense of Doug Armstrong, quote, blowing it up, which could mean quite a few more players are yet to be moved. So I don't think we even yet have a great grasp on what this could look like, like as we get closer to the trade deadline. We had uh, JR on this is a few weeks ago now talking about what the over under would be on the number of Blues players that were dealt. At the time, he said like two and a half. I said JR, that's way too low. I think we Give said me the five. four and a half or five, um, and I said I would still take the over on that. I, I think we're even yet going over that. I, I think that we've already got to four. I expect Barbie to be added to that list. We'll see if somebody has any interest in Thomas Grice. He's a UFA as well. And and I would not be surprised if there's... It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. You're right, Tanner. It is very possible still that they end up trading one of those top four defensemen from their group. And I don't know if that's something they do now or as we get into the summer. But I think that is the next... After the Ivan Barbashev move, the next piece of business for Doug Armstrong—figuring
2: well, out this blue—and that's why March third is very intriguing to me because all of the rumors: David Panyota has had it, Jeff Merrick had it, Elliot Friedman had it. A lot of NHL analysts have said teams are calling about a couple of Blues defensemen. They've mentioned Colton Pareko, but I've heard other names involved also. Teams are calling about those. So if teams are calling, they're either trying to figure out how they can make it work cap-wise or they're starting the framework for the season. But d- d- Doug is made it very clear his boots are down and they're sturdy. He's not moving on from saying, well, I don't know if we want to do this. If somebody's willing to give him something that gives him flexibility and assets to make this team competitive next season, he's going to pull the trigger. And that's why March 3rd, despite the Blues already trading four
0: pieces off of their roster is still very intriguing for the St. Louis side. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're getting into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, some NFL quick hitters, including something that i think the nfl needs to adopt that we saw yesterday in the xfl I think it would make the games better and more entertaining. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the
1: Unidentified Alien Podcast,
0: or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major your podcasting platforms and you can also
1: find it on uappodcast.com
3: we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
0: I'm Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, over the weekend, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, but we start with the XFL, actually, as the Battle Hawks got their first win yesterday Ka-ka! of the young season. Ka-ka! 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 It was an impressive one, and it was made possible in part because of a rule that the XFL has that I believe the NFL needs to adopt. There was a fourth and 15 from their own 25-yard line. That they were able to convert because, of course, pro was there. Instead of trying an onside kick, the XFL says basically, hey, instead of the onside kick, you get a fourth and 15 from your own 25. If you convert, you keep going just as you would any other drive. If you don't convert, then the other team gets the ball wherever you failed from, and they're going in the other direction. Onside kicks have become so difficult because of the new rules that it's almost not even worth trying. I think there were like three successful onside kicks this year. Prior to the rule changes, they were successful at roughly a 10 to 12% rate. So one out of every eight to 10 you were succeeding on. Now it's like one out of every 30. So it seems fair. <laughs> the odds of you attempting to uh, recover an onside kicker. So unbelievably minuscule that you might as well not even attempt them anymore. The other thing, Alex, is that this is a real football play. Like, if I'm watching a game as a neutral observer, what would I rather see? The kicker for the L.A. Chargers? Uh, what is it? Dicker the kicker? Attempt the... You can't th- say that on the uh, air. ...onside kick, or Justin Herbert trying to convert a fourth and 15 while throwing to one of his best receivers, the quarterback making 40 million bucks, the receiver making 20 million bucks. It's the latter. I want to see this implemented in the NFL, and honestly, I don't see a good argument against it. Yeah, I, so full transparency
2: here I didn't see a whole lot of it because there was a blues game going on at the time God, do your so job, man. when I was wrapping up post game was when that fourth down happened so I missed a lot of it but from everything I saw on social media I watched the video that's what the XFL did so well the last time around and why people were so involved into it one because of what we talked about but also because it's stuff you don't see in the NFL it's excitement it's not the bland plays at the end of the game where you're sitting there like okay this one's over because there's always an opportunity, and that's what we saw with that one yesterday. So I'm with you. It created that excitement. I loved that opportunity, and I loved that play. If you can tell me that I get a fourth and 15 play at the end of a game that could dictate the outcome or an onside kick that I'm going to watch, I'm going to get all of the build up. You're going to kick the ball. The guy's going to hold on to it, and the game's over. Give me the fourth and 15 every single day of the week.
5: Yeah, I, I don't mind the fourth and fifteen. I, I I wouldn't mind them bringing it to the NFL. I, my fear with bringing it to the NFL is we're going to see it converted at uh, an unbelievable rate, and Dude, that we're going to see a ton of offense. Uh, you know, I like you defense. You don't want offense? Nah, I, okay. I like a good
0: defense. You think of showing, teams so. are just going to be out here going... Yeah. Nick Sirianni's fourth I heard, and I heard, 15? Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was Mr. that Mr. I heard this. Nick Sirianni in stated. the Super Bowl said fourth and three <laughs> was too much <laughs> from their 50-yard f- line. Yeah, like, what are we talking my, about here? My concern, though, would be that
5: we see it a lot more than we see it in the XFL, because there's much Why? better talent level right, at the Grandpa. offensive level.
0: Grandpa, put your medicine NFL. back in your Cheerios and go back to sleep. do you see a team in any capacity going for fourth and 15?
5: Like, ever. Well, now when they've got... I, I think if, if you would see a lot more teams try this now because they don't try an onside kick regularly now because they can't get it. Fourth and 15, I think you could see teams convert this more regularly.
2: Grandpa, put the medicine back in your Cheerios and go back
5: to bed. You know what? I just support the damn kickers, okay? Those, <laughs> the guys, kickers don't those even, guys get paid for a reason. The kickers do kicker
2: in his first ever kick kicked it like 18 feet to the left. Thank yeah. God they called well, the time a
5: He's in the XFL.
2: Oh, man. Watching Grant... Blues producer who just despises kickers who miss field oh, goals. Dude, was oh, he was losing his mind. Yeah. So last year, I just looked this up. There were fifty-six. <laughs> oh, he's gonna hit you with some kicks. stats now. Just a backhand uh, slap
0: of of stats. No, square bottle ready. No, this isn't even. This is about <laughs> onside kicks. This has nothing to do with the fourth and fifteen. Um, there were fifty-six on onside kick attempts. Three were recovered. Yeah, and I enjoyed three. those three. You turned off those three. You didn't even see them happen. I saw them occur. You don't even have basic cable. The reason I bring this up is because the onside onside kick has been essentially taken out of the game by the new rules. Fourth and 15, I think, makes it to where if you are down by an extra score, you're down two scores and you, you are able to get the first. You at least feel like that game's not completely over. And right now it is more or less. So I think it's something that the NFL needs to adopt. I didn't see a whole lot else from the XFL over the weekend that I was like, ah, that's the future. <laughs> no, um, I did I don't like their point after tries. I think it's smart for that league because there's only so many kickers to go around, dude. I mean, we saw it with the Battle Hawks. Like, there's just they're not good enough kickers to make it worth going for the extra point. You should be going for an offensive play there. I do like the kickoff rule that they have in general. I do, too. I, I think like it makes that, it yeah. more likely that you're able to get the returns. It does seem, according to their research, to be something that helps take down the injury rate as well. So I'd, I wouldn't have minded seeing the NFL look at that. And then the only other thing, and we saw this the last time that the XFL was around was the replay system. The fact that they're able to be so transparent with everything. Like you can hear what the refs are saying with the official. That's actually going back and watching the replay. I like that, but otherwise that was pretty much it. Yeah. Did you have Tanner? Did you watch the battle Hawks game?
5: No, I didn't see. I saw the replay of the fourth down conversion.
0: I, did you watch it from start to finish? Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, I was watching the Blues, so I was right there with you. Yeah, I'm not trying to tamp down any like excitement. It was a really cool comeback win. The fourth quarter. If you only watched the fourth quarter, you probably enjoyed the hell out of your viewing experience. Of course, when my post game started. If you watched the first three quarters. Whew, that what, was, what was rough. It, at half time, dude. Like six, it was three? six to three. Their over under was set at thirty seven and a half at the, kickoff. Sh- the Battle Hawks had two first downs. I think in the entire first half. Oof, that's it rough. was brutal, and the offense looked atrocious. But uh, they they figured it out after a while, and uh, I thought the offense was the
2: part was. of the Battle Hawks that like they oh. were hyped
0: about. Yeah, I mean, they Brian Hill is a guy that people were excited about as a running back. He got uh, sacked like Aitman. five or six times. Marcel Aitman was a pretty good receiver. Uh prol is is a guy that mm-hmm. people got excited about, especially with the local ties. And then A.J. McCarran was, was supposed the big to be one. an exciting player, and he, he was looked terrible. He looked like he'd been for doing the majority of the game. He looked like he'd been doing radio for a while. <laughs> All right, let's get into some more NFL quick hitters here. That's our battle hawk, man. Kaka! Kaka! There was a report earlier today from Pro Football Talk that Daniel Jones switched up his agency and is now hoping to get million per season. That was a spit take. What? First of all, that ain't happening, good sir. Second of all, Daniel Jones has more career fumbles and interceptions than he does touchdowns. And I'm talking passing and uh, rushing touchdowns combined. At at some point, did the Giants say to him, like, hey, man, if you want to try to get whatever money you think you're worth, go ahead and go to the market. Would you be franchise tagging Daniel no, Jones? I don't. Or would you just let him play this thing out? Because I would go the latter. I would say, okay, we'll play this with yeah. you.
2: Yeah, I'm not franchise tagging him. I'm going to let it play itself out, and then you can walk in free agency and let it figure itself out. Uh, there, there's just no way, because the franchise tag, you're, you're, you're committing a hell of a lot of money to that player, who albeit got you through that Minnesota Vikings game in the playoffs, but we've already discussed how awful that defense is. And he looked like a $4 million player in the next round in an actual matchup against a better defense. So, yeah, no, I'm going to let this thing play itself out. There's no way I'm giving him that franchise tag.
5: Yeah, I wouldn't give him the franchise tag either because I I just can't even picture him getting that kind of money on the open market. And uh, when you look at the free agent quarterbacks, he's at the bottom of the list, in my opinion, of all those guys that are going to be available between Geno, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, And I think then there's Daniel Jones, unless there's another quarterback I was forgetting in terms of free agency. I would put Jones last on that list of those starters that's going to be available. So I wouldn't franchise him. I'd say, okay, if you want to play hardball, we'll play hardball. You can go see if you can find this money elsewhere. There's no way in hell any team should be giving him $45 million a year.
0: Yeah, I I'm shocked that this is even a conversation point. Um, Even the, the people that love Daniel Jones way more than I do know that this is a bad idea for anybody to give him that kind of money. Uh, Speaking of quarterbacks that could be on the move this offseason Bob McGinn who's as tied in as anybody locally up in Green Bay had this to say about the Packers situation right now as it stands with Aaron Rodgers. Alex he wrote as of right now Bob McGinn says he is convinced that the Packers are done with Aaron Rodgers quote that's the way that it is right now he's not coming back. They're disgusted with him they're done with him. They're moving on. They have wow. turned the page. They don't see Rodgers as a guy who's really working hard anymore. They see a guy, rather, when he reported this season, whose body, quote, wasn't tight anymore <laughs> or as strong as it was. What you see a guy we'll do, who blew off the offseason last year, end quote. I was just going to say, to
2: be fair. It's hard to work out in the dark. To defend Aaron Rodgers, all of that was prior to his darkness
0: retreat. Yeah, that was while he was doing the uh, ayahuasca or whatever last year. Okay, you know what? I'm all with, the puking and huh? the pooping and whatnot that went along um, with it. I'm with Bob. The 10,000 hands that hey, were on hard his to body. Stay in change, yeah. man, when you're doing that.
2: Um, uh, yeah, how do you work out and get your body tight if there's 10,000 hands on you at the entire time? Uh, I'm with the Packers. I'm done. I'm disgusted with them. Um, I'm, t- I'm turning the page. I'm moving on. It's not coming back. Man, this is an aggressive couple of words.
5: <laughs> I, that's what's that's what's interesting about He's this. He's not is, working hard anymore. They're really helping their trade stock with Aaron Rodgers here. Yeah, we'll just trash on him and hopefully it doesn't decrease our trade value. I I don't think the Jets would care. Jets would be like, we'll take I, him. Uh, you're probably right. I, I think the Jets would take him. But, man, talk about an interesting report coming out of Green Bay.
2: I, I mean, they're not wrong. Uh, Aaron Rodgers did not look like an MVP. Now, granted, you did take away his best weapon in uh, Devontae Adams, but that did not look like a guy that is going to lead my team to a Super Bowl
0: last season I'm with you um, I'm surprised that it's this definitive for them to say that they are quote disgusted with him end quote you guys give me a lot of crap for the way that I characterize well, Aaron Rodgers as, disgusted a, as a with miserable you, sometimes. you know what they seem to think, think, think that more he's more aggressive. miserable than I do <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty low on just, Aaron Rodgers. anytime
2: you end it with your body's not tight
0: anymore way to end the relationship dude that is rough um, I I will be curious to see what that. Can you imagine if he comes back after this <laughs> trip into the darkness? And he's like, "Hey guys, I'm ready. I came out of the dark. dark. I can't wait." Have my
2: retreat. Back. I'm and- mentally focused for a Super Bowl. This. You guys called me not tight. <laughs> yeah, they you said, guys said you're disgusted with me.
5: See, I the way what I about the ten thousand hands. The first thing we're gonna hear from Rogers, he's gonna be like doing a Pat McAfee interview, shirtless. Sure, oh, Look how tight my body. Now, is. if
2: I'm now if I'm Aaron Rodgers, really good one. That's if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'd screw over the Packers. Well, do that's the what you got to do, right? Do the
0: James Harden treatment. Yeah. I'm sure. Does he have a no trade clause? I would imagine he does. I would. I would they gave Probably. him everything to
2: try and bring him back. If I'm him, I'm not going anywhere. Yep.
0: Now I'm saying I'll be back. Yep. Welcome I'll to the, the jungle. I'll see you guys on uh, the first day of training You camp.
2: begged me to return last season. And then in an ultimate, just out of spite, Aaron Rodgers move, which shows you what my personality is, come back and you play the best season of your life. And then they're like, oh, damn, we got Aaron Rodgers. Then demand the trade.
0: He does not have a no trade clause. Oh, yeah, he's over. Wow, I am stunned I, he didn't did get a no-trade clause. They did everything to get him back,
2: and they didn't give him a no-trade. I wonder if he didn't want the no-trade clause.
0: He'll have to approve any trade, though, because he could threaten to retire. Okay.
2: Okay, so it's still in his hands. If they say, we're sending you to, I don't know. New York. Yeah, the Giants. And he doesn't want to go, and he says, nope, I'm going to retire. Interesting. He's going He's going to
0: Screw over the Packers after those comments. I'm I'm surprised that the Packers let this thing get out. That was interesting. Right during his retreat. Yeah, it's
5: he's in the darkness he, right now. He's
0: he's gotta be there yeah. right Ho- now. Right? That's why this is coming out yeah, today.
5: Hopefully he doesn't yeah. see it when he comes out because
0: he's in there for four days. And if he
2: does see it before he comes out, then we know he wasn't in the darkness retreat true. point.
0: Coming up in about and 15 minutes. There was one team that I Doug know. Armstrong compared the Blues' current situation to. We'll tell you who that was coming up in about fifteen minutes. But next three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. I've got some numbers on fourth and fifteen. I'm doing a victory lap. We'll get to your questions coming up next. One hundred one ESPN.
3: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on One Hundred One ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text 314 399 9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net.
0: side alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. it's PK and ferrario here on 101 espn 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers alex in the last segment we were talking about third and fourth and fifteens in the nfl and how tanner's just terrified yeah, that these tanner teams are defense, be going defense going for it left and right tanner likes
2: if, defense but yet he wants to see teams not go for it because if they course, do
0: convert then you know that would be poor defense so if you if you look at what the XFL is doing with their new 4th and 15 instead of an onside kick, if you apply to that to the NFL, over the last three seasons, teams converted at roughly a 10% clip on 3rd or 4th and 15. So they were 73 for 750. So about a 10% clip uh, in those scenarios where they needed 15 yards to be able to convert. That is basically what the old nfl onside kick success rate was so if you ended up having that as being the onside kick the the percentages check out to be pretty damn close to what it used to be so that's what i would like to see and that's my uh quick little um victory lap for you here today on the show really bad victory lap we need a new sounder. I know. Oh, my what spray is that? bottle one didn't work yeah, very well. What good. is that? It's a spray bottle. He's trying to spray it with it. Yeah, not very good. All right. Uh, let's get Maybe into questions and answers. 314-399-9646. <laughs> Alex, this one comes from the 314. Could you see the Blues shipping Barbashev out with pareco in a deal?
2: Yeah, I could see it. Uh, the problem is $6.5 Added on to the two and a half million AAV. Now, obviously that's prorated and things are changed a little bit with the trade deadline and half the season, but that, that would be a lot of teams being able to take that on. Um, the blues would have to take something back in return. And I don't think the blues are taking something back with salary in return that they don't feel would match next season. But I absolutely could see if a team's willing to take on and able to take on that contract or those contracts, and give you, like, a first-round pick in return, which I don't think a team would. But, yeah, I mean, I would move that. It's just going to be really tough to do because any teams that would be calling about Colton Pareko probably doesn't view Ivan Barbashev as a long-term piece for their team because he's a UFA. Teams that want Barbashev are teams that can make a Stanley Cup push right now, and those teams don't have the cap space to get Colton Pareko.
5: Yeah, that's why I'd be stunned if they can package Preko with Ivan Barbershev because that cap hit, as you said, it is prorated, but it's going to be tough. And, and I think Barbashev, more than likely whoever he gets dealt to, is probably going to be just a rental-type player. And then may, maybe he resigns with them in the offseason, who knows. But I, I just think it's going to be tough to move Colton Preko to the deadline. I, I think all these conversations around Preko center around him being potentially moved in the offseason.
0: Um, I don't think that you'll see this. I don't think that the same teams that are interested in Pareco are interested in Barbie. I think those are kind of two different markets in some ways. A lot of the teams that would be interested in Pareco might be out of the playoffs right now. Like you might be looking at teams that are building. Or are not trying tr- to get into the playoffs. Right, but they're building for like the next three years, right? A team kind of like the where the Red Wings were coming into this season. That could be the type of team that is looking at a Colton Pareco where they say, hey, we are starting the beginning of our winning window as opposed to the blues who are like ending one and hoping to start another calgary
2: vancouver those would be the teams that sure. i would imagine but mind you pareko has to
0: agree to be traded to those places Absolutely. all right uh this one comes from the 618 similar note if the blues were to trade a defenseman at the deadline who do you think would be the one that is most likely at this point i do think that it is probably colton pareko because i think he's the one that holds the most value i would say tory krug because of the offense a team might look at Tory Krug and say look at the season he put together
2: last year with a good offense and a team that was playing better um, you put that you put in again this won't happen because it's too much money but let's say Boston wants a left-handed defenseman Boston could probably say yeah we'll take Tory Krug because he's going to be better for us on the left side um, but the six and a half million is a problem honestly if there was one that would make the most sense it would be Callie Rosen or Nick Letty I don't think they're trading Callie Rosen and Nick Letty has to approve where he gets traded and the team's got to have the money to take him in
5: See, I think I agree with BK. I think it would, to me, it would be Pareko because he does seem to be holding value because I was stunned on the first report that, you know, teams were kind of, Calgary I think was the team that Panyota connected to Pareko, saying that teams are interested in Pareko. And I thought, no, no way. And now that we've seen multiple people bring up his name in trade reports, makes me think he holds most value on the team right now. So I would say, yeah, I would go Colton Pareko. Uh This one come,
0: comes from the 217. Uh, Jacob texts in and says, do you guys see army telling Ryan O'Reilly, Hey, go win a ship right now. Come back to us this summer. In other words, do you see the blues potentially re-signing Ryan O'Reilly? I do not. I don't, I, there was a quote from Doug Armstrong over the weekend where he said, we're going to retrench with guys that are in that 20 to 25 year old range. Ryan O'Reilly doesn't fit that range anymore. I think they're moving on. I think this is a, a clean bill of goods for the next group uh, to try to win here. I don't think that Ryan O'Reilly is going to be back.
2: I'm sure they'll touch base in the offseason and see, like, hey, does has Ryan changed his tune of, you know, I want to be in St. Louis, and, yeah, we can talk about a three-year contract worth $3 million. But the problem with O'Reilly coming back to the Blues now is you're going to play for a team that's going to compete for a cup. And one, you're going to probably find a new outlook on life because your team's underperforming this season and maybe he looks like a better player and becomes a more costly player in the offseason. And two, I could absolutely see the Toronto Maple Leafs look at him and say, hey, we had success with you. Let's find a way to bring you back. And which one are you going to go to if you're Ryan O'Reilly? where you were captain? or a team that has a outlook of winning a Stanley cup for the next couple of seasons.
5: Yeah. I, I don't think he'll be back. I, I agree with PK. I, that quote of, you know, going with younger guys to be in the next core just makes me think that O'Reilly's not gonna be brought back. And, and two, it just doesn't happen that often in the NHL. We haven't seen a lot of guys that leave teams. I know the blues have done a couple times with Kachuks, the one that comes to mind. I, I just don't see that. A different general happen. manager too. Yeah. And I don't see it happen. it doesn't feel like army's MO to bring him back.
0: I mean, We've talked about this a million different times, but I think we should probably mention it right now because it was one of the reasons I didn't think that Ryan O'Reilly was going to resign during the offseason. When the Blues do not get a guy signed going into his unrestricted free agent season, the history of them coming back under Doug Armstrong is basically zero. There is almost no history. Mm -hmm. Players do not, under Doug Armstrong recently at least, play their final season here in St. Louis under their contract and then resign. It doesn't happen. So I I think that what you're going to see is he moves on, the Blues move on, and they go their separate ways. And in future years, this is something that we should also keep in mind. If the Blues do have a player that's a significant piece, and there's not many of them left anymore, but uh, that we're wondering are they going to resign them or are they going to go elsewhere if they're not signed by opening night pretty good chance that they're going to be moving on going somewhere else. well
2: like you said Doug Armstrong pretty much laid it out for every Blues fan out there his idea is if I'm bringing somebody to this team after this season they're in the same group as a Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas in that core and you're talking about 24 25 26
0: years old not 29 30 31 years old. so who are some of those players what do they look like? Who do they play for? How could they be acquired here in St. Louis? We'll talk about that and the team that the Blues are trying to model this build after. Do that all coming up next, including a Ferrari 05 here on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the PK and Ferrari podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Team that that I look to, like I'd like to emulate right now, or even be quicker, is LA. You know, I I saw the way like New Jersey and Buffalo and Detroit did it. That's five, six, seven years. Uh, LA did it very quickly, and I'd like to do it very quickly.
0: That was Doug Armstrong over the weekend talking about who he would like to emulate during this Blues rebuild, retool, retrench, whatever you want to call it. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Alex, in ninth, or 2018, the LA Kings finished that season with 98 points. Lost in the first round, but had 98 points that year. The following season, they finished with 71 points. They finished last in their division, and then the rebuild was on. The following season, 64 points, 7th in their division. The next year, this was during the shortened season, 49 points, 6th in their division. And then finally last year, they're getting back to uh, competitiveness again. 99 points on the season, 3rd in their division, losing the first round. But they're back to being competitive. They are a real team now, and they're a team that everybody is talking about as, hey, what are they going to buy as we get closer to the trade deadline? They've been in on Chikrin seemingly for a year and a half now. So it was essentially a three-year retool, rebuild, uh, retrench, whatever you want to call it for them. Do you think that's what we're looking at for the Blues? Is it going to take that long? Is it going to take longer? it's going to be shorter? How, how do you view the Blues in comparison to what the Kings were? Because I think that's a, that's a reasonable way to go about
2: it. I, I would put it around the same timeline with the opportunity to be shorter. And I know people don't like this. I've already seen the text from the 314 on our air comfort service text line 314-399-9646. Alex, you're going to hate to hear this, but you're in the middle of a rebuild. I don't believe that to be true yet for the Blues. If they select three times in the first round and they don't make a trade. Then I'll start to buy in. You know what? This might be a three to five year process now because obviously the trade's not out there, but one trade. And I believe you could put yourself right back into the same spot that you were in last season where you looked at it and you said, you know what? This might not be a great team. And then they surprise everybody and go out and they make a run with it. The LA Kings, they slow played it a little bit, but here's the, here's the reason why LA has kind of made this a quick turnaround. Because they have an Ajay Kopitar, their captain, who has that winning pedigree to his game. Uh, they had Dustin Brown, who they just put into their Hall of Fame around, who had that winning pedigree. You've got Jonathan Quick and you got Drew Dowdy. You got a number one center, a number one defenseman, and Jonathan Quick has come away from that now, but for the longest time was the number one goaltender. All three of your big pillars were there. It's just adding around that. That's the concern that the Blues have in terms of do they have those pillars in place? But the LA Kings are here because one, they drafted in the top five two separate times and getting Quentin By- Byfield, who's played a little for them, and then Brant Clark, who's going to be here next year. But they also made trades uh, to better their team in the off season. They got Kevin Fiala. They got Philip Deneau. They signed Victor Arvidsson through free agency. And their drafting and development worked well. So they able to get some younger players that stepped in. So. I believe they could do this in the same time frame, if not shorter. But all of that depicts on what Doug does this offseason. If you don't make a trade and you run it back with this same team because you don't have the money to sign a free agent of significance, then you're going to be right back in the same spot next year. And that's when you get closer to the L.A. Kings of we might be bad for a couple of years, get a couple of top picks and put ourselves into relevance.
0: So I think that the Kings are a really interesting comparison because the thing they have that you don't is a legitimate number one defenseman. And I, I don't know how to get away from that. I think you've got the goalie. I think you have, if not the legitimate number one center, a legitimate number one center in terms of Robert Thomas or uh, Braden Shin, depending on how you view that. You have a top pair or top line winger, either in Bucinavich or Cairo, whoever you'd like to put into that category. I, I don't think you have a legitimate number one defenseman right now. And until you find that guy, it's hard for me to believe that you can be on the same path as the Kings. And that's where it comes down to what you were talking about with those picks. I think that the goal for this offseason should be for Doug Armstrong to say, you know what? We messed this up. Our defensive core in our top four, we went about it like in a way that we thought was right. We made it work for a season where last year they could have won the Stanley Cup with that defensive core. I really believe that. Genuinely. But now you look at the way that they're building around that group, and I don't think that that's sustainable. I don't think that you can have success in the long haul with those as your top four defensemen. So you got to find somebody that you can. You got to find guys that you could build around in that group. And that's what I think this, this offseason should be about. Even if you can't figure out that forward situation, you can do that. Give it time. You've got some prospects. You'll be able to get somebody in. Like you can find those guys, and you've already got at least three or four that you, you feel really good about. That defense is where I think that you've got the problem, and the defense and that structured game is what the Kings have always had and continue to build around to this day, and that is all built around Drew Doughty. Yeah. And you don't have a guy like that.
2: Yeah, you don't, and I mean, you don't find a Drew Doughty unless you're selecting that sure. player in the top four, and there's, if you read JRS piece today, Corey Pronman, uh, who he did kind of a, a bio with, Um, Not a bio, but he he got his piece on it and and Prondman said the best available defenseman is probably going to go 9 or 10. Maybe a good defenseman, but not a top defenseman like a Drew Doughty, Victor Hedman, Alex Petrangelo was. The other factor that goes into this, and it's not just on defense for me. I've said this a lot. Jamie McLennan was with me on pregame yesterday and said this also. It it is kind of a five-man unit. And defense as a group on the ice, and they've gotten away from that. The other reason LA's kind of always been here and they've made it a quick turnaround is because you've got players who can hold others accountable, and Ange Kopitar and Drew Doughty. And I believe the Blues, although they do have Braden Shen and a Brandon Sod, those guys, the Blues are in this window now of trying to. Get Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo on that same page as the guys that can play like a Braden Shannon, and a Brandon Saad.
0: That's the area that they're evaluating this season. So if not the defense, let's go to the forward side of things. Alex, you gave yourself a homework assignment.
2: Yeah, I did. I love when I give myself. I'm that kid in class. Like, oh, oh, are you going to and give us a homework after uh,
5: today?
0: Uh, you, you had to have been beat so, up in high school. <laughs> Alex wanted to come up. With players who fit the criteria that the Blues are looking for. We've referenced this a number of times. Doug Armstrong said over the weekend, hey, we're looking for guys that are in that 23 to 28 type of range. Mm -hmm. right? They're in their prime of their careers, and they're going to grow with Robert Thomas and and Jordan Kairou, maybe Pavel Buchnevich. That group, we want guys that can come and be a part of that core. Alex, you gave yourself the homework assignment of coming up with five players Who fit that criteria t-bone did he just almost steal my open no oh my
2: god let me me do this again
3: t-bone hit the
2: open
0: you're
3: listening to bk and ferrario it's time for the ferrario five a top five list of very random things so ferrario give us your top five
2: I got a Ferrario 8 for you guys today. Just kidding. uh, It's a Ferrario 5 with a couple of honorable mentions, okay? I'll give you the honorable mentions. We can just gloss through them real quick. Florida. Florida's in a spot. Might have to trade some pieces away. Uh, Look towards Sam Reinhart and um, Sam Bennett two guys like who, both of those names significant players they're gonna have to open up some cap space do they have to move one of those guys in the offseason the other one is alex to it with the ottawa senators has not gone well for them 26 years old he's an rfa so you'd have to give him a long-term contract extension but it's a dude who scored 40 plus goals with the chicago blackhawks last season those are my honorable mentions now let's get into the sexy part of this one let's go over to the new york rangers we've talked about this before no it's not chris crider so you oh, calm down over there man uh, big bird's gonna stay with the rangers Uh, And it's not Alexis Lafreniere. I don't know if you've seen this. He's actually started to play really well for them, but it's another one of their younger players in Capo Caco, former first overall pick playing well alongside Alexis Lafreniere um, and their, uh, their young centerman. The reason I bring him up is because he's got $2.3 million next season. And then he's an RFA where he's probably going to demand that bigger contract. 23, 24 years old. This is, he's a top six winger. The Rangers probably going to want Vladimir Tarasenko back. They have to re-sign a couple of their RFAs, including Keandre Miller, a defenseman, who's going to get paid. They're going to have to move somebody, and they're not moving Zabinijad, they're not moving Panarin, they're not moving Kreider. So that's where I go to this Capo Caco. But if they did move Kreider? If they did move Kreider, then I'm sure BK would be all ears. Unfortunately, buddy, he's 30 years old. Kind of falls out of that uh, window that Doug Armstrong's God, talking about. He
0: look good in a note uniform.
2: So that's number five. You think he's going to look good in number of uniform? Wait till you hear number four on this Cut. list. William Nylander.
5: I like him. So
2: the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, we just have seen, they're throwing everything into the piggy bank right now. they took the hammer to it and they're cashing it in for their prize. If they don't win this season, if they get bounced in the first round,
0: there's they're one smashing that piggy
2: paint. They're gonna, well, they're, Kyle Dubas, their general manager, is going to be gone. They're already in a spot where Austin Matthews has got it one year away from free agency where he's asking for 12 to $15 million per year. And he should get it. And they've got Marner. They've got uh, Tavares. They might want a Ryan O'Reilly back and they've got a core that has been unable to get through in the playoffs. They're going to move somebody. William Nylander is a guy that's a UFA in two years. Also the same time as Austin Matthews, who are you going to want to stick with Matthews or Nylander? That's why I wonder if Toronto views it and says, we got to move one of these guys so we could keep the other blue swoop in and say, we'll take William Nylander, give him a contract extension. He's 26 years old. You lock him up for eight years. Welcome to the same time frame as Thomas and Cairo in success. Toronto's a interesting team. If you're a blues fan, uh, be, we do love Ryan O'Reilly. Would love to see him win the cup, but there's a little piece of me that looks at it and says, man, if Toronto gets bounced in the first round again, they're going to be an interesting team for the blues. If they
0: can make a trade, I Like it. he's you know, not good defensively though. Well, I can help you there.
2: We know how that is in St. Louis. So forward, not good at the defense. Uh, problematic know.
0: for people. Uh, you know, I'm in that that is my
2: guy. <laughs> number 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 three on this list actually is a defenseman. It's Jacob Chikrin, and I wouldn't have put him on this list until I heard Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman talk about it today on their podcast. Uh, Jeff J- Jacob Chikrin is a realistic option for the blues. They now have draft capital to trade. They do have players that the Arizona coyotes would look at and say, Hey, that's interesting. And maybe a three team trade comes into play where you can ship out a defenseman, bring in a defenseman and trade away draft picks. Jacob Chikrin, although some don't see him as a number one defenseman, he's not a drew Dowdy, a Victor Hedman. He would become your number one defenseman and he's cheap. He's 24 years old. Welcome to your core with Cairo and Thomas. So that's one that I would say keep keep an eye on depending on where he goes before March 3rd. Because if he doesn't get moved to L.A. or Boston or the Devils, I could see the Blues being one of those teams that jump in on it. You ready for top we two? About Why are you yawning over there, T-Bone? This is gold I'm giving you. Because gold, he's in charge
0: it. of the station this week, so he's he's Yeah, crazy. I'm tired. Your man. eyes look a little baggy right now, man. Yeah, I'm ready for the T-Bone. <laughs> we got now. a number two.
2: Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer, see, two, Timo, you got it. San Jose Sharks. If I, I, I believe he's going to get moved to the New Jersey Devils. But I brought this up because Elliot Friedman brought it up, and frankly, it makes sense. Timo Meyer, 26 years old. Every season, it seems like he's putting up 30 goals. Not the greatest defensively, but he is a big winger who scores a lot of goals. Better than Nealander. Better than Nealander. He's an RFA. San Jose wants to move him. This is going to cost you a lot to acquire him. So that's why I'm just not sure. But once again, you've got three potential four first round draft picks in this upcoming draft. Timo Meyer inserts your team into a new core. Your top six next season of Bucinavich, Thomas, Kyrou, Meyer, Shen, Saad. That's a sexy top six. So doesn't make you better on the defensive side, but you're getting a 35, potentially 40 goal score to already play with your team. And it's a guy who could you lock up for eight years. And I think it's been reported he's looking for an eight eight or $9 million per year, The Kyrie Thomas contract no, n- number one on this list. It's not as sexy of the other names, but it, I put it number one because it's as realistic as any of them. It's Brock Besser from Vancouver. We've talked about him before and Brock Besser doesn't look great this season, but Brock Besser is a much better player than what he's performing in Vancouver. His father passed away. He wants to change his scenery. He's 24 years old, 25 years old. I, the dude is a top six power forward. And you got him, I believe it's two more years, six yep. mil per year. And then you're probably going to lock him up after that. That's the core with Kyrou and Thomas. That's a guy that Vancouver is trying to unload. And Vancouver wants defense. Maybe you can find a hockey trade here and not even have to give up your assets on the first round pick oh, side. I'm in. But Brock Bester to me is probably the most realistic of any of these. Not the same pedigree as a Timo Meyer or Mitch Marner. You're going to have to give up a lot. I don't know if you got to give up a lot to get Brock Besser, but Brock Besser instantly makes you better next season. I
0: don't mind it. Um, I I think the question with Besser is this, was last year, the real year, and I'm not even talking about the points. Like the points aren't all that different. He's a 40 to 50 point producer. That's what you're expecting out of Brock Besser on a year-to-year basis. I'm thinking more of in terms of the quality of the player. Last year was the outlier so far. Um, and, and last year was the year that his uh, his father passed away too. But he was better last year. That's what's weird. Is like he That's last weird year was too. a very good season for him, and then uh, the year before, and then the year after have not been as good. So it, is last year real? Can he be that here, or is he more the guy that is probably a, a power forward version of a Brandon Saad, yeah. where it's a middle six player? That you've got signed a $6.5 million contract. Is that the guy you want? I, I like the idea because he definitely fits in with the criteria that they're potentially looking for. And he's definitely a change of scenery candidate. I just don't know if he's the guy that I would want to lock in for the next couple of years at $6.5 million. Well,
2: I didn't ask you. Okay. It's not a BK5. It's a Ferrari 05.
0: I like the list. William Nylander is super interesting. The only the, I'm the, telling you, man. The term- concern that I have there, if you get him, you're likely resigning him. Can oh, yeah. you afford it? Because he's going to get like nine plus million dollars
2: in this circumstance. And that's been the biggest question. All of these. I'm seeing a ton of tech saying, great, Alex, but you can't afford any of these guys. Understand the premise of this is they're moving one of their defensemen. Sure. That's the only way you're doing this. The only way you can do this. And that's why Doug's looking at this offseason as, look, if we can't move a defenseman, then it might be a long haul for fans. We might be here for three years like the L.A. Kings until some of these contracts come off the books or one has a great year and we can trade it. But if we're able to move one of them, you move one, you open up so much flexibility for the next couple of years. And that's how you make one of these work.
0: He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed that Ferrario 5, be sure to check it back out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, how do the Blues trades play into Craig Berube's job security? Does it actually make him more secure in a roundabout way? We'll discuss that coming up in 15 minutes, but next... How would a good year and then a contract extension change the way that you, the fans, view Jack Flaherty? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to
3: the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Is for him to be healthy. I think it's it's you know having his his preparation and the ability to to repeat that is, is obviously important. But um yeah, I'm I'm really excited about what we're seeing with him.
0: That was John Mozaylock at Cardinals winter warm up when discussing Jack Flaherty. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, over the weekend there was a interesting tweet that came from John Denton who covers the Cardinals. For Cardinals dot com. Interesting. He was talking about Jack Flaherty and the possibility of him being a long term cardinal when asked when Jack was asked about, hey, do, would you want to have the Waino treatment where you're here for the entirety of your career and um, you get to be a lifelong cardinal? This was Jack's respon- response response. You look at guys like Jeter and Kobe, they were with one team for that long. Wayno and others have done it, and it's awesome. You know the culture, you're comfortable, and you start to turn it into a home. I think that can be a really good thing, end quote. Alex, when you think about Jack Flaherty and the way that he's viewed here in St. Louis, I would say, uh, you know how Facebook has the relationship status, or they used to, I don't know if it's still this way anymore, but they used to be able to put like, it's complicated with blank. I feel like the relationship between Cardinals fans and Jack Flaherty is, is at all times listed as it's complicated. How do you think that would change? If Jack ends up having a really good season this year and then re-signs with the Cardinals for something resembling the Carlos Rodon deal. So he gets like a six year, 125 ish million dollar contract after the season. How do you think the relationship would be at that point between Cardinals fans and Jack? Because I do think part of the it's complicated is Cardinals fans always thinking in the back of their mind, oh, he's gone. He wants to go to L.A. He doesn't want to be here in St. Louis. And I don't know that you can still have that opinion if he literally resigns with your team.
2: Well, and that's the funny part to me because, I mean, I've, I've only had a few conversations with Jack Flaherty in the past. And Jack Flaherty has always said nothing but the best about St. Louis and wanting to be here. He's never once been outspoken about, him, about wanting to go to L.A. It's just been, oh, he's from L.A. The Dodgers are competitive. Jack Flaherty's is going to want to go and to L.A. And they pay people. And he wants his money. Uh, it, it changes the narrative. If Jack Flaherty goes out and looks like an ace this season, and he's already stated that he wants to be in St. Louis, we all know how emotional he got at uh, Winter Warm Up talking about Adam Wainwright. That's an idol. And then John Tenden he talked about some of the other idols of Jack Flaherty and how they've stuck with their teams their entire career. It, it changes the narrative of the Cardinals in the sense of, welcome to your ace. And I don't know if it changes the narrative from fans because even one season people are going to say, yeah, but look at his past. He's always injured, can't stay healthy, still not an ace. You sign him to a Carlos Rodon contract, people are going to say, well, he's not really an ace, he just had one season, and you're overpaying a guy who's going to be an injury risk. I don't know to that to be true, because Jack Flaherty has always been a competitor, it's just the injuries have always plagued him. But in my opinion, if Jack Flaherty signs that contract and has himself a, 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 an ace-caliber season... Cardinals just fixed the one problem that they had. It's still going to be a question mark, but you're probably going to pay less for a Jack Flaherty than you would going to the open market to try and pay an ace to come to St. Louis, if that makes sense.
5: Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. I, I think it is still going to be kind of and it's it's complicated on our Facebook status between him and the fan base because I, I think a lot some fans will look at it and go, they're making a mistake and giving that money to Jack Flaherty because he has the history of not being healthy I wouldn't truly think that I would think it'd be the smart business decision because I said this um, we had a uh, conversation about this a couple weeks ago where if he has a great season I would lock him up and I wouldn't I wouldn't look back and hesitate about it I do think it would take multiple years in a row though of Jack Flaherty staying healthy and maintaining that kind of ace caliber level before the relationship would kind of change I, I do think some of the the conversation we hear around Jack Flaherty is kind of like the Mo conversation where I think it's more of the, uh, vocal not minority. the vocal minority of Cardinals fans that are against Jack Flaherty. But I do think that some will look at a contract extension with Jack Flaherty, if even coming off of a good year, and go, well, he's not proven to be healthy throughout his career. I think this is a mistake. I, I think it would take a couple of years in a row to where he's healthy pitching at a high level before fans would go, hey, that wasn't a bad contract that the Cardinals handed out.
0: People liked Carlos Rodon, you would say, in general this offseason, right? Mm-hmm. Like people were were in on the potential of signing him. Carlos Rodon from 2015 up through 2020, so his age 22 through 27 seasons, started 92 games, threw roughly 500 innings, and had a 4.1 ERA in those 500 innings. Jack Flaherty, same ages, ages 22 through 26, this year will be his age 27 season. So he'll actually be able to add another season onto this in the Carlos Rodon years that I just mentioned through 500 innings with a 3.3 ERA in 93 starts, same number of starts as Carlos Rodon, same number of innings basically, but instead of having a 4.1 ERA had a 3.28 ERA in that stretch. If you add on another good season to that this year, you're basically looking at Carlos Rodon coming off of the 2021 season, except he's had more, his more success in his history. So if you wanted Carlos Rodon last year or this year, you should also be in favor of the Cardinals locking up a guy like Jack Flaherty if he ends up having a good year in 2023. That is a massive if. But in this hypothetical scenario, that does indeed happen. He stays healthy. He ends up putting up good numbers this year. I I do think that it would change a lot of the narrative. Now, there would still be some that are out there that are skeptical. No doubt about it. And I think there would be some that just like no matter what Jack does on the baseball field, they don't like him off of the baseball field. And therefore, they're never going to want to watch him any longer. Absolutely. That's fine. Set that aside as well. But for the people that are somewhere in between, like you get close to Election Day, sometimes they call them the undecided voters. Right. Those are the people that I'm talking about right now. The people that are genuinely on the fence about Jack one way or the other. I think he has a chance to change the hearts and minds of those people this year with the way that he performs. And I think the Cardinals are in that category. I think the Cardinals, if they were honest, would tell you we're undecided. We don't know what Jack's future holds. But if he ends up performing at an extraordinarily high level this year, we're more than happy to invest in Jack Flaherty. Think about how much they've already invested in him, whether it be time, energy, money. They've invested all of that so far in Jack. If he is able to pay off this year and become the number one starter that they are looking for right now, man, you got to bring him back at that point. Give him the six-year deal that he's very likely to command. He's only 28 years old next year. He's going to be the youngest of all of their free agent starting pitchers that you could potentially have. He's going to be cheaper than some of the guys that are likely to hit the open market because he doesn't have the same history. I think that it could really change the way that Cardinals fans view him if he does end up having a conversation with the Cardinals about staying here long term and then makes good on it. Because that is, I think, one of the biggest things that for the majority of his career has always been in the backs of the minds of Cardinals fans is, yeah, maybe he's going to end up being great, but it doesn't matter because he's going to leave for the Dodgers anyways.
2: The thing too is, and we saw the report over the weekend, I think T-Bone, you sent it to us that Aaron Nola's in conversations with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, We've already seen you Darvish sign Shohei Otani is either going to get traded to a team, here. We know not that. coming <laughs> here. Like, all of the aces are coming off of the board, and the matter of the fact is, just like we saw in St. Louis with Alex Petrangelo, number one defensemen don't come along very often, and when you have the opportunity to sign it, you sign it. And I understand the argument for some people would be, yeah, but at least Petro showed it, Flaherty hasn't. You just gave them the numbers. I don't know if you get an ace performance, you let that individual walk because you could be spending the next three to five years looking for another ace. And even more so, they're going to be unavailable because aces sign with their teams.
0: The other thing is on that pat on that note, like I think one of the other drawbacks to signing uh, a guy like Jack Flaherty is, yeah, but the injuries, guys, the injuries, they're not going... Any pitcher you throw at me, any one of them, that could potentially get a long-term deal from the contract... I could have the exact same disclaimer.
2: Wayneo and Michaelis had extensive injuries, and look at how we're talking
0: about them recently. Like Jordan Montgomery, earlier on in his career, had some extensive injury questions about him. Like any any starter that has been around for six plus years, I can probably point to a year or two in there where it went awry for him with the injuries. And I'm just like throwing out 2020 because it doesn't count. It's it's not a real baseball season. It was a month and a half of watching baseball. And then we all know what happened with the Cardinals, even within that stretch. So um, I I would be super curious to see what that would end up looking like for the fans reaction, if or when he has a good season and then resigns here in St. Louis in 15 minutes, we're diving into the juncture, but coming up next, how do the blues recent trades play into the job security for Craig Berube? As we move forward here, we actually think it might make him more secure here in St. Louis. Talk about it next year on one on ESPN.
3: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Got to get over what's going on. And you know, we have veterans in there that um, are good players. They got to take control of the team. And they got to understand the situation we're in. they got to play better. That's how you take control of it. And uh, right now, they're not.
0: That was a very frustrated Craig Berube after the game yesterday.
2: His comment prior to that is where he said they're pros, they're paid to perform like pros, and tonight wasn't performing.
0: He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, you asked an interesting question earlier today. I want you to answer it first. How do the Blues recent trades play into Craig Berube's job security, both in the short and the long term? How does this factor into the way that we as fans and Doug Armstrong as the president of hockey operations views the job that Craig Berube is doing?
2: These moves that they did and what Doug Armstrong said of going into a new era basically told Craig Berube, you're good until the end of your contract, in my opinion, because You don't go down this path unless you know you have the correct head coach in place to do it. Otherwise, you're like the Vancouver Canucks, who you bring in a coach who you thought was the right one. He gets fired. You bring in another one. He wasn't good. And then you bring in another one. It's a revolving door. You don't make these moves unless you know that the head coach you have in place has the ability to... Strengthen the maturity and play of young players like a Snuggerud, like a Zachary Bolduc, like a Jake Neighbors, and all the while being competitive with the core that you have in place.
5: See, I think it puts more pressure on Craig Berube after these trades. Not so much. Not so much this year. You think
2: after all these trades, they could still sit there and say, Craig, you're not the right guy for us. I,
5: I think. I think the pressure comes because of the fact of the matter that he's now they're going to be highlighting that core that we're talking about. Can you take this core? to the next level. And I think that's where the pressure comes. And I'm not saying it's a lot of pressure. I'm not saying he's fired at the end of the year, fired potentially next season. But Craig Berube's job, and I think we said this going into the year, relies on the development of Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, and whatever other pieces are brought into this core moving forward. And I think if you don't see slight progression or progression in years to come, I don't think he'll survive throughout the end of this contract. That's what I mean by pressure. I'm not saying I'm putting him on like the hot seat, saying he's potentially fired at the end of the year, because let's just be honest, he didn't have any great pieces to work with this year. I just think there's more pressure on him now because now it is, okay, for you to be here long-term and be with this next era of blues hockey, you have to take this young core that we're developing, slash we have partially in Cairo and Thomas, and you have to get them to the next level. And we've seen this year twice now where Kyra's gotten into it with Craig Baruby, whether you want to make a lot of that or not. But I, I think that's where the pressure comes for Craig Baruby. His job is on Thomas and Kyra. And can he get them to buy into that 200-foot style game and take them to the next level? And
2: see, BK doesn't agree with that. And we can discuss that. I, I actually do side with the fact that I do read into that a little bit. But the the flip of what you said in terms of the pressures on Baruby to get these guys going, I would have agreed with that last year maybe two years ago but I think what Doug did this offseason and the comments that he made of it opening up a new era and his comments of this team going through the struggles and not having a foundation to fall back on I I believe Doug Armstrong is sounding the sirens and pointing the spotlight on those players he's sitting there saying this is on you guys. We gave you these contract extensions because we believed you're the next core of this team. Now we're moving past the captain. Now we're moving past the goal score that we've had in place. And now it's on your shoulders and a, a coach can only do so much. A coach can implement the game plan and talk to these guys. But if it's not being displayed on the ice, if you're a general manager, his comments, which I, I believe we have if we want to play him, but his comments basically saying like I'm evaluating what they are doing the rest of the season and this comment was the biggest one at least that stuck out to me
4: in his press conference now as a as a manager what you what I'm going to do is look down and see what what players are are buying in I know what winning looks like and I also know what quitting looks like and that's what I'm going to be watching on which way uh which way we go BK when he said that and, and he kind of he he went back
2: to that and said look professional players don't quit but him stating that tells me that tug armstrong has seen quit in this team this season i saw it the last
0: two days so yeah i
2: agree that's not on a coach You can you can put it on a coach and say, "Well, this team's quitting on the coach." That's on the players, and I believe Doug has addressed that this trade deadline.
5: But I I think that with the players getting the long term contract extensions, they'll be here longer than the coach. And I think they're movable. I, I, I agree with you in terms of I think there is more pressure on the players, but I do think there's slight pressure on Craig Berube moving forward. Of can you get the maximum out of these guys that I've put on this roster and have, to st- have have established as a core for us moving forward? Again, I'm not saying that you should be like raising uh, the red flag and say. Hey, well they're gonna fire Bruby at the end of the year. No, I don't think he's under pressure this year. I, I don't. I maybe not even next year. I, I just I think throughout the life of the term of his contract is when you're gonna start seeing, okay, now is he getting the most out of Cairo and Thomas? And if not, I think Ari would move on from Ruby quicker than he would the players, because I think he truly believes that that is the core. And the question is, can the coach get the most out of those guys moving
0: forward? I guess my question would be this. And I, I don't even know if there's a, a good answer to it, Alex, but Like, I I agree there's pressure on Thomas and Cairo. I also think in general people just want guys to develop quicker than they do. Oh, great. I I think this happens in Major League Baseball as well, and we've talked about it ad nauseum, so we don't have to get too far into it. But Nolan Gorman had a good rookie season for what he should have been expected to do. But I think there is a decent portion of the fan base that saw it and said, strikes out too much. Not a guy that I want to build around. Well, let's, let's give it a little bit of time. Let's see what he looks like in year two, three, and beyond. Jordan Walker, probably going to struggle this year. It's going to be hard. And that doesn't mean that he's a bad player. That doesn't mean that he can't eventually live up to expectations. Like, not, not everybody comes in and is immediately Mike Trout. That is the rarity. I think the same thing is true for guys like Kairou and Thomas. I think that what we might be starting to come to terms with on those two players is that they are very good players that are flawed. And I don't think that anybody wants to believe that their next big-time prospects are flawed until you have to come to terms with it. And I think we're getting pretty close to being there. I also think that they still have some growing to do. I think Jordan Kyra has another step in him. I think Robert Thomas has another step in him. They're also 23 and 24 years old. So my question to you, Alex, is when you look around the NHL right now, who are the teams that are doing a lot of winning? with their best players being 23 or 24 years old.
2: Well, New, G- New Jersey's a perfect example of it. I mean, Jack Hughes is 21 years old, and prior to his injury, he was in the conversations for MVP of the of the league. But but you're right. They I, also
0: have Dougie Hamilton, who's helping them quite a bit. And absolutely. he's a, an older veteran. Um, so they, they've got some of those guys that are in that upper echelon in terms of age as well. And but, not that the Blues don't have any of those players, but as we look into this next era of Blues hockey, like where they're at now and moving forward. It's really hard to win when your best players are that young. It's just it tough is. to do, man. It, 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 Unless the, it is a guy like Hughes, who was what the number one overall pick, right? But, that's just a different but level. But
2: the teams that are winning with younger players, the younger players aren't the main focus of that team. They're although
0: Jack Hughes is that guy now, but but they're again though that's different because yeah. that's like saying Connor Bedard's going to be a, a player that can come in and win at a high level. They're accessory sure. pieces, <laughs> like
2: like uh, Sebastian Ajo with the Carolina Hurricanes. Like yeah, he is the face of that team. Andrei Svechnikov is the same way, but they have players in place that have been established and you have the right head coach i mean the western conference is a perfect example of it you got jason robertson tearing up the national hockey league right now they got a kid who was drafted in the first round this past draft who's playing top six minutes for them but they also have jamie ben and tyler sagan you don't just thrust guys into the position that they're in right now and not expect some fallback i think the problem just to go devil's advocate on this sure. the problem is it's not the struggles of oh well they're they're not scoring or they're not making the right plays. It's the struggles of the stuff that we saw them do well, at least in the Robert Thomas side of things. Like Jordan Cairo, this is what his second full season as a National Hockey League member. I think there's a little leeway with stuff like that. But Robert Thomas has been here since the 2018, 2019 season. Last year we saw that step up in responsibility on the ice and ice time, penalty kill, power play. We talked a lot about how it felt like he was transitioning into the Ryan O'Reilly. This season, we've seen the mistakes of putting pucks in the wrong zone, turning the puck over in the offensive zone. Yesterday, Craig Berube was laying into those two because they weren't getting off the ice fast enough. There were two separate occasions where Cairo and Thomas did not get on the bench that resulted in an odd man rush. That's the kind of stuff that you can look at a coach all you want and say, oh, well, this is on Berube to get... He's doing it. This is on the players to commit to what they need to do. You give them a little leeway because of the circumstances that took place of trading away so many pieces. Those young players have not been a part of a team that have had to sell off pieces at the trade deadline.
0: So this gets back to the question that I've asked a few times, and I I know that it frustrates people, but at some point we might have to come to terms with the fact that Jordan Cairo is not a good defensive player. In fact, he is a defensive liability. And if that is indeed the case, what does that mean? What does that mean for him in the short and long term of his career here in St. Louis? Is that a guy that you can build around? My answer to that is still a resounding yes, because look at the production that he's given you. So far this year, even in a down year for him early on, and then what has been certainly a down year for the Blues, it's a point-per-game player. He's on pace for almost 40 goals this season. Robert Thomas, a question that I do have a little bit, and eventually we'll be able to have these conversations in the bigger picture. It'll be something that we focus in on down the stretch. I don't know if he's ever going to be defensively responsible enough to be your number one center that you want going up against the most difficult matchups in any individual series, right? Like you get into a playoff series, you're going up against the Nathan McKinnon line. Do you feel comfortable With Robert Thomas in that situation? I I don't know. My answer is truly, I don't know yet. And I don't know that it'll ever be a yes. So if that ends up being the case, is that a quote-unquote disappointment relative to expectations? Maybe, but maybe those expectations were unfair for anybody to be expected to be the next Ryan O'Reilly. Because Ryan O'Reilly is one of one.
2: That's what I was going to say. It's unfair to put Thomas on that same echelon because Ryan O'Reilly, in a lot of people's eyes, is as good of a defensive two-way Absolutely. centerman as Patrice Bergeron. So when Thomas lo- is not
0: that. When you look at it from that perspective, it's like, okay, I like Robert Thomas. I think Robert Thomas is a very good player. He's not going to be Ryan O'Reilly. That's okay. He's also going to be a better offensive player than what Ryan O'Reilly was for the Blues. So it's just, I I think it makes it difficult to evaluate these guys the rest of the season because you don't really have a team around them. And it becomes an effort thing with them. And like Jordan Kyber is not a guy that, I'm sorry, he's just not a guy that's going to look, if you're evaluating purely off of what it looks like effort-wise, I don't think it's going to look great the rest of the season. You're, you're
2: right. And and there's a, dif- a game. There's a difference between playing defense as a forward. And I'm talking Cairo in this spot because Thomas is in a different category as a centerman. They're always viewed on a bigger level. But as just a winger, there's a difference of wanting to play defense because that was Vladimir Tarasenko's biggest drop off. Like he never played defense, but we didn't mind when he's putting up 40 goals. People did. People did. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but but there's a difference, and this is where it gets to Jordan Cairo, and at least a couple of times Craig Berube, at least we've seen and heard him get into him on the on the ice. There's a difference between commitment in the game and defense. It. Like if you're turning the puck over, that just might be who he is, and deal with it. There's a lot of forwards in the NHL who turn the puck over a lot that aren't great defensively. Phil Kessel's made a damn career of it, but yet he still finds ways to also, win. Also, we
0: notice it because we watch every night.
2: It, the circumstance last night or yesterday where, and I know exactly the play that it was, it was the one that led to the Tim Stutzla goal, where he did, he he was slow playing it to the bench. Stutzla, along with Brady Kachuk, rushed up the ice, and it was a 2-on-1 because he didn't get off the ice fast enough. If that continues to happen, that goes back to Doug Armstrong's comment. Not that he's quitting, because you're not quitting on the team. You're getting paid $8 million next season. But if that's the effort that, that they're happened. getting exactly and you start to get concerned of that and that's where I believe it comes back to they're back in Craig Berube here so the players got to figure it out or Doug Armstrong's going to address it that direction
0: he's Alex Ferrario that's Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kiley Jeff Merrick is an NHL insider for Sportsnet he had a great podcast earlier today on the 32 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman we'll talk to him in about 10 minutes on who he thinks the Blues could still be in and in on both at the deadline and as we get into the offseason Jeff Merrick in 10 minutes the junk drawer though coming up next
3: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario
4: brought to you by fenton bar and grill
3: best Trust wings in missouri dine in carry out seven days a week
0: I'm Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. Quick version of the junk drawer today. Jeff Merrick in about five minutes. Alex, I have a problem. Uh oh. <laughs> Many a you problem. Got a lot of problems. But one specifically that came up over the weekend. Walked outside. There had just been a uh, pretty good rainstorm. I think this was Saturday morning, if I'm not mistaken. Walk outside and taking some trash out. I looked down and right up next to my driveway. There's a Snake. little no no no. It's a little mound that has developed. Womp And I look up whomp. further, and I my eyes you can see them like tracing the side of my driveway, and it goes basically halfway down my driveway. Where it's not big, it's not significant. It just looks like the the ground has moved. It's been slightly displaced. Yep. It's the worst I came to in the world. realization not too far afterwards, saying to myself, "Oh bleep." I remember Alex talking about this. I know exactly what I just got into. I am about to have man versus mole. Oh. Episode number one at my home out of the St. Charles area. What am I in for oh, right now? I, I bought over the weekend some bait. I bought some traps. Yeah, none of that works. I'm a regular hunter no. in my backyard no, right now.
2: You could be a regular hunter like I was. Here's what you need to get that mole. You grab a shovel. Okay. You grab a lawn chair. Okay. And a pro. And your butt. You sit that butt in that lawn chair, and it's you hold be nice that shovel. And you hold that shovel next to you, BK. Don't move, because if you move, that mole's gonna hear you.
5: You're gonna look like a psychopath doing 100%, this. hundred percent.
0: And what prepared. you do? This is this is how I've caught three moles in my backyard. Let I'm me like put my that. Neighbors' kids as they were jumping off of their shed. So, well, you should have called the police for that one. <laughs> but, but They're gone. Child protective services.
2: Yeah, go probably on. gone. They're with the angels now. Anyway, you sit on that lawn chair and you wait. And when you see that ground start a little heartbeat, Mm -hmm. that mole's coming up saying, hey, M Meffer. I'm going to mess your lawn up. You run over there. You grab that shovel. And you stick the shovel right next to that mole. What you do is you put it right behind where the the hole's like Mm breathing because the mole's at the top. Sure. And you fling. You slingshot it out of the ground. And then you got to be quick. And I know you're agile. I've seen you run. Oh, yeah. Quick as can. You go grab that mole before it starts to burrow itself back in. I, this is. I tell you, I caught three go. of these. Now, you, now three of them? I've caught three of them. I, I know. Now, this is the uh, violent part of things. You're gonna have to do something that uh, you're not gonna be comfortable with. Okay. drown them. No, <laughs> even worse. You gotta go Sopranos on that mole <laughs> with the shovel. You get that shovel, and you put it in a little grocery bag, and you just,
0: just and ready you, to you, go.
2: And huh? you take that mole out to the trash. Okay.
0: The, the traps. If you guys have any recommendation, three one four three nine 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 six four six, just gave you it, man. I'm three for three. If you have something other than what Alex suggested, please send them in. I will update you as we go along this week. Someone texted and said Alex should be a good friend and take care of it.
2: I offered my services to him for two hundred dollars an hour. You give me an hour, I'll take that mole
0: out. Don't need that. I got this. We're
2: going to see how manly you really are. I'll Go take care of that. I
0: will send you guys a picture after I kill this mole.
2: I don't. T-Bone, if you had to bet $100, does he catch this mole or does he come back by the end of the week and say, I can't do it?
5: I say he catches a
0: mole, but I say
5: say he hires somebody. Yeah, that's a good point. The
0: traps ain't going to do it. If I do, that's a losing proposition for me. Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet is next. Regular occurrences here on the show is Alex walks in and he's got the 32 Thoughts Podcast playing. Every he did day. it this morning. He walked in, he said, Hey, I'm listening to my guys Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. And right now, we are having the distinct pleasure of going out to the Brown and Crippin' celebrity line to be joined by one of the co-hosts of the 32 Thoughts podcast. He's Jeff Merrick, NHL Insider for SportsNet. You can also follow him on Twitter at his name at Jeff Merrick. Jeff, thanks so much for hopping on with us today,
1: man. How you doing? Good. The pleasure is mine. Um, I guess I have Alex fooled. today. wow. Oh boy. <laughs> you do, Jeff. I thought you, were, I thought you were smarter than that, Alex. No, are you kidding
2: me? I listen to it, but I always follow the rules. If it goes well, I credit Jeff Merrick, and if it goes south, then I
1: blame Elliot Friedman. Right. It's Elliot Friedman's fault. Right. I'm yeah. here when uh, win or tie. That's what I'm I, here for. I, I know the rules. Elliot. <laughs> yeah, that's good That's
2: so, good. what's up boy so Jeff well, let's just start with the blues because you know we, we had the common good. questions that we were going to get into with you but then we listened to the podcast today and the conversations between you and Elliot about this blues team hmm. and, and it, it really does sound like as much as people aren't happy with the way that this season has gone it does sound like there's a lot of faith at least around the National Hockey League that Doug Armstrong can flip this thing pretty quick
1: I don't think that, like, I, I wonder, I, here, here's what I wonder, and I think I know the answer to it. I wonder if Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues look at this season as a one-off. These things happen. Like, this happens in all of sports. We expect everything to be linear in sports because it's easy to follow that way. When really, for the same purposes of this conversation, look at a team like the St. Louis Blues, I mean, all of the sports is kind of a bunny hop, right? It's a couple of steps forward, one small step back, two forward, two back, like these types of things just happen. I think, you know, Doug Armstrong has been around long enough to know that you don't overreact to these situations until you start to see a long-term trend. Now, you might say, hold on a second, Merrick. The trend has been since they let go of Alex Petrangelo, this this downward-type slide, and I get that. But I think we start to look at timelines and what this next wave of St. Louis Blues team is going to look like, and, you know, this is a team now I think the number is, I think I was talking to someone on, on Saturday, one of our researchers who said that, you know, do you know that going back to the 2019 Stanley Cup final game seven, there's only five remaining players. And even one of those players had to go away and has now come back in Sammy Blay. <laughs> that are still on the roster of the St. Louis Blues. Like it really has been this, you know, this, this pretty major turnover that, that Doug Armstrong is, has, has forward for us right now. And so we wonder about timelines. And I look at, you know, key players for the future, like Robert Thomas and Jordan Kairu. They're kind of in that 23, 24, 25 years old area and say to myself, okay, well, what they're probably doing here is they're not going to strip this thing down to the nuts and bolts. That's not the way the St. Louis Blues have ever behaved. Go back to 1967 expansion. As you guys well know, this team makes in the Stanley Cup final the first three seasons, and it's never been a team. That's gone through any type of rebuild. Have they had to take small steps backwards? Yes, but they've never had, and they've never gone through any prolonged rebuild. And I don't think it's going to be different this time at all. As a matter of fact, it would not surprise me at all if you know Doug Armstrong now with um, uh, with with three first round picks and prospects like Scott Prunovich or or Joel Hofer. Uh, playing in the American Hockey League, says, you know what? We actually have exactly what the Arizona Coyotes are looking for in a Jacob Chikrin deal. Left shot defenseman, first pairing guy, 24 years old, compliments and fits that timeline. Like, I don't know that by the time the draft rolls around that the St. Louis Blues are going to actually be picking three times in the first round because it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, if their general manager takes these assets and packages them into something that can complement the timeline that they're on right now. To say nothing of the fact that they have a lot of key players under contract, a lot of term on these deals as well, I don't think this is any type of you know long retreat at all for the St. Louis Blues. I think to kind of look at this as, you know what, this is a one-off year. These types of things happen. We're going to get rid of the guys that are on expiring deals, and that's it.
0: Jeff Merrick is our guest here on 101 ESPN. All right, following up on that, Jeff, here's my first yes. question on it. <laughs> okay. What is Jacob Chikrin? Because I think we've talked about him here in St. Louis for like two and a half years now. On hey, would he be a fit? Where does he fit? What is the con? All of these different things. Is he a legitimate number one defenseman on a winner? Like how, how does he fit into a winning hockey team in your mind? Because we haven't really seen that with him down in Arizona.
1: It's been tough. It's always hard to to value or gauge the value of players when they're playing on a team that's not competitive for as long as the Arizona Coyotes have been. Um, Here's what we know about Jacob Trickman. Are there injury issues? Yes. Sometimes you hope that that's just a matter of luck and that happens early in someone's career and then it corrects itself. You can't bank on it, but you hope, right? So Jacob Trickman is a a first-pairing defenseman. Let's just get that out of the way. Um, He can put up points. Um the one thing that I that I like about Chikrin is he makes exits out of your own zone simple. He can pass it, he can carry it. He is a, a very quiet leader, but nonetheless he is a leader and he's a big, strong guy. And the one thing that we know about the St. Louis Blues, and this is historic as well, they really value muscle. Like this has traditionally been a team, and you look at that St. Louis Blues team that won the Stanley Cup in 2019. That was a collection of oak trees. And those, that, that defense was big. That was a big, strong blue line. And I think that's what's tempting for the St. Louis Blues when you look at someone like Jacob Chickler Now, the, the, the cost is expensive. Like, make no mistake about it. Like, Arizona is looking to essentially put together the, the new age version of the old Minnesota San Jose Brent Burns deal, which is essentially, and it's a combination of picks and players here, but essentially works out to three first round draft picks. You know, an actual first rounder and two players who were first round draft picks once upon a time. One of them will probably have to be a first round draft pick prospect. Um, I think he fits with a team like the St. Louis Blues. I also think he fits on a team like the Los Angeles Kings. But I look at St. Louis and I say, you know what, this is a team that has the assets to do it. I know LA, you know, there's a, for a couple of reasons, I think one of them is Arizona didn't want to take any money back. They weren't able to come to terms on a deal. I think St. Louis can. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. But to your question, you know, is he, is he a first pairing guy? Jacob Chikrin is a first-pairing guy, absolutely.
2: Jeff, that's been the narrative around this Blues team, at least in St. Louis this season, is, man, the offense is good. The defense is the problem. And when you look at Pareko and Krug and Falk and Letty, I mean, these guys have term, and three of the four have no trade clauses, which is difficult to move on from. So if a Chikrin comes in, you would imagine one goes out. But when you look at this defense as it is now, do you feel like that's the area that does need to be addressed if this team wants to put themselves back into playoff contention next season?
1: San Jose, or San Jose. yeah. St. Louis's blue line to me is fascinating. Because if you look at what happened and everything is like, to me the big demarcation for St. Louis is Alex Petrangelo. Because it seemed as if the moment that St. Louis, let Petrangelo go and walk and end up signing with the Vegas Golden Knights. It seemed as if St. Louis went out of their way to kind of, like, do you guys feel the same way that they kind of went in this mode of, we need to bring in as many different players who each did a piece of what Alex Petrangelo did. Because Alex Petrangelo did a ton of things. And it seems as if what they've done is sort of pieced together a blue line of a lot of things that one player used to do um i don't i mean i think that that's an area that they need to address i think that's an area that the st louis blues are looking at and instead of just grabbing well you know what toy crew can do this and nick letty can do that and you know, listen, we we brought in justin falk to begin with because we needed petrangelo insurance and thank goodness that we did because he ended up walking uh and we had justin falk out of all of it i think that they're Probably looking now, and this is where you can look at Chikwin and say, you know what, he's not the exact same as Alex Petrangelo, but this way we don't have to put together a blue line where it's a collection of players that all did a little piece of what Petrangelo used to do.
2: I'm right there with you Jeff and just kind of as a follow-up to that it did feel like Doug kind of went into that offseason and said well we'll show you we can find somebody (laughs) who does what you do on our team and then next thing you know you were trying to just add on and on and on and it never matched it but kind of tying into the Jacob Chikrin and the ability to trade for something like that you get to Ivan Barbashev Jeff and that's another asset that Doug Armstrong has the ability to move before March 3rd and it seems like a lot of teams are interested. Do you think that an Ivan Ivan is worth a first-round pick to a contender.
1: You know what I, I really wonder about? I wonder if Ivan Bar I, I wonder if Kyle Dubas inquired about Barbashev as well to Toronto, and that there wouldn't have been two players going out, but three. Yeah, I really do. I really do wonder about that, and that would have meant um, probably touching a roster player, or maybe touching someone like you know, if, if you're looking at a huge deal like that, to include like a Matthew Nyes. From the University of Minnesota, who's looking like a can't-miss prospect for the Maple Leafs, um, I don't know that Barbashev brings a first-round draft pick. I, I, I really don't. Um, I know he will bring uh, a high draft pick. I just don't know if it's the first. Having said that, all it's going to take is two teams,
5: mm-hmm. right?
1: All it's going to take is, is, is two teams to want Barbashev. But I, I really wonder. Um, and no one's denied it yet. If the Toronto Maple Leafs inquired about not two, but three players from the Blues on the weekend,
0: Jeff, I guess here's the the follow up question then to the defenseman conversation: If they were to, whether it's Chickren or somebody else that they end up looking at uh, going into the off season, do you think a guy like Pareko, Krug, Falk, Letty, somebody from their current blue line, do they have value out on the open market, yeah. or is this a situation yeah. where really okay?
1: yes absolutely they do like this is not going to be a situation where teams look at you know just take you know colton colton parego for example i mean there is something just so so seductive about having someone with that skill set and that size um on on your back end i know that sometimes you know health sometimes can can be an issue here but that's a like that is a valued commodity too and listen like Tori krug like I used to always say this about Tory Krug in, in Boston specifically as much as everybody went, you know, crazy for Zdeno Chara and rightfully so and the leadership and the cups and and all of that, you know, Zdeno Chara never scored 60 points and Tory Krug did like for the for for the Boston Bruins and you know it's always been an embarrassment of riches on the back end for Boston, I get <laughs> that, but Tory Krug to me has always been one of the more Underrated defenseman, kind of in the entire NHL. You might say, like, well, hold on a second, Marik. the guys make it a big, a big check, and he's what is he six and a half million dollars on your AAV. How can you say he's underrated? I, I still think that in this era, where it's more important than ever to be able to, to, to funnel the puck to forwards in the neutral zone quickly and efficiently. Um, and let's not forget too, the Torrey Krug, as you guys well know, brings an element of snarl to the game as well. I mean, he's not six foot four, but sometimes he plays like it or tries to play like it. Like there's, there's a lot of value to these, to these blue liners right now. I think St. Louis knows it. And I think teams around the NHL do as well. Are they difficult trade to make right now? Yes. It's not about the number necessarily, It's about the term on the contracts. Like right now, we have no idea what's going to happen to the salary cap long term. We suspect it's only going to inch up a little bit right now. But considering what's happening with, you know, uh, uh, regional packages, and we all know the Bally situation, how is that going to affect hockey-related revenue? How is that going to affect the salary cap? We're going into a great unknown. So I think the one thing, if you're looking to move one of these blue liners, the thing working against you isn't the number. I think I think Doug Armstrong's done a really good job with the numbers here the problem is when you're heading into an unknown you don't want to be married to term, and these defensemen all have term attached.
2: Real quick follow-up, Jeff, and I, and I know you're you're very gracious with your time, so thank you so much. No, but no problem. In that term of Colton Pareco, you know, I, I I feel like I'm the Colton Pareco defender here in St. Apologist, Louis
0: apologist more like
2: because it does feel like that this is an outlier for him. Anytime you want to move on from a six foot six defenseman is always a tough move, but when you look at that, if the Blues did decide to go that direction, do you feel like that
1: might be a move that they regret? I do. I do, but listen, listen, I, I, listen. I grew up and and lived just outside of Toronto, so I know what happens when a fan base picks a defenseman and turns <laughs> on them. They can do whether whether listen whether it's you know Corey Cross or Aki Berg or Larry Murphy or Brian McCabe, like there's uh, the, the there's this uh, in uh, Jake uh, Jay Gardner, like there's this enormous. For whatever reason, there are some fan bases that always isolate one defenseman. And that defenseman becomes sort of emblematic of all the problems on that team. Jeff, the Very problem here for
0: years was Jay Bowmeister. And then he want a cop. And yeah. now we just want to find our next Jay Bowmeister prior to him. <laughs> it was know, Eric that, Brewer. I,
1: yeah. And now I think Eric, listen, I was talking to Freeman about Brewer not too long ago. I was like, we've totally forgotten how good a defenseman Eric Brewer was. You know, we've forgotten like how good a defense, like we were mentioning Scott Hanna uh, in that conversation, yeah. uh, that conversation as well. But yeah, absolutely. I and mean, then like, you know, Jay Beaubleser sure has his health situation, and now everyone in St. Louis is like, "Wow, it was a real luxury having something <laughs> that could gallop, gallop like that on the ice, and like gallop the puck up." Wow, we could really use that, right? About <laughs> it. Listen, man, when when you have it, you can you can get used to it, and you can start to resent it. But trust me, that's a a forest for the trees. Like People understand how good Colton Pareko is. Trust me out there.
2: Jeff, it is going to be a very fun next couple of days, and I know a very busy next couple of days for you guys at Sportsnet. Uh, Always appreciate you hopping on with us. You're one of my favorites. You're one of our favorites on this show. So once again, thank you so much, and uh, enjoy the next 11 days leading up to the trade deadline.
1: Should be wild. Buzz back anytime, gentlemen. Have a
2: great rest of your day. Thanks, Jeff.
0: That's Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet, co-host of the 32 Thoughts podcast, one of our favorites here on the show. I know we play a lot of clips from that podcast, so it was great to be able to catch up with him today. Huge thanks to Jeff for hopping on with us. We will get to in out, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line if you guys have anything for in or out coming up here in just a little bit. Um, but, Alex, I, I think that what the decision points are going to be for the Blues – most of them revolve around the defenseman, mm-hmm. because as you look at the forwards, like there's not many decisions right now to make like you're going to, I would be shocked at this point if they don't sell Ivan, on Ivan Barbashev. Agreed. I, I wouldn't be all that shocked, honestly, if they decide to flip once again Sammy Blay. Now, maybe he ends up being a guy that you say, you know what, let's let's keep him around. There's nothing wrong with a Sammy Blay here. But if he continues playing well and there's a team that says, hey, we need a little bit of grit in our bottom six, you could get a conditional fourth or something. Could we see the Rangers call back to Blues and ask <laughs> for Sammy Blay again? Like, I, <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if that ends up being something that they decide to do. Right. Those are probably the last real moves, though, in terms of your forwards. Otherwise, you you like Shen, Booch, uh, Kairou, Thomas. Those guys are going to be back. The the blue line is where they've got to figure it out. And maybe that means selling one piece and bringing a Jacob Chikrin in. Maybe it just means for now selling a piece. And then maybe you get to the off season and Mackenzie Wieger is actually available and you go get somebody. like I don't know what it's going to be in terms of the names. But as you hear what Jeff Merrick just had to say, and that guy is super tied in. Absolutely. What's your biggest takeaway when it comes to the blue line?
2: Well, it, it, it is the Jacob Chikrin side of things, but it is also the outlier side of things. You look at it and you say, this has just been a bad season overall. Last season, we, we were talking about their defense struggling, but we were also talking about how good Justin Falk was the second half of Colton Pareco, and then, of course, Nick Letty when he came to St. Louis. But hearing him discuss the defense, it's very evident that that is the bigger issue for this team right now. And you've got to figure out the the only way you make a Jacob Chikrin work is if you're also shipping out a defenseman and him also saying what the cost for Jacob Chikrin is uh, blues fans. If you want Jacob Chikrin, it's going to be two first round picks, probably your pick. If you want Jacob Chikrin, which it's going to be top 10. Mm-mm. Not sure if you're giving mm-mm, that mm-mm, one up and you're also going nope. to have to give up Jimmy Snuggerud because if oh. I, if I'm Bill Armstrong, I'm asking for the winger that plays with the center for the University of Minnesota, who's going to be on my team next year. So that's going to
0: be the asking price. I don't think I'm doing that. I mean, totally, like, I, I I hear what Jeff how much, said. How bad do you want a number one defenseman? That's the question. So there is there is something that he said during the answer when I said, is he a number one defenseman? And he, it was subtle, man. It was like a... That's why I love Jeff. He said, is he a top-pairing defenseman? Yes, he did not say he, he ended, ended it with a number, he's a number
2: one defenseman. He though. said he's a
0: top pairing defenseman. He ended
2: it. I thought with we he's a number one. Don't it. don't challenge me on what Jeff Merrick says. I take it as religion. It was smart.
0: It was like jujitsu. He just <laughs> he didn't even realize he did it. Tanner, you, look it up. You leave it and you're like, wait, did he just say that? He said top pairing defenseman. I agree. I think I think he is a legitimate top pairing defenseman. I'm not trading a top seven pick or whatever it is that the Blues end up getting for a number two defenseman, because I think I've got some of those. But that's
2: why it gets interesting, because maybe you're not trading that top pick. If they ask for that originally, maybe it then becomes instead of that bill, I've got three first round picks in 2023 for you. If you get a first round pick for Ivan Barbashev,
0: maybe it's two first round picks that you received and it's a first round pick next year for Jacob Chikrin. So I think that the way that I look at it is I remain lower than most on Jacob Chikrin. I think that he is a good player. I do not think that he is a great one. If you can get Mackenzie Weger, that I'm looking into. If you can get. I think
2: Chikrin's a better defenseman than Mackenzie Weger.
0: And I disagree.
2: I, I You're think, seeing it right now. I mean, Calgary is struggling with Mackenzie Weger and Jacob
0: Chikrin, although they're a bad team, they're having some success for absolutely and listen, nothing. This is a flaw by me, but if you look at any of the metrics, they all suggest that Mackenzie Weger is significantly better so far this year than Jacob Chikrin. And some of that's teammates, no doubt about it, because he's playing with poor teammates, uh, uh, Chikrin. So there's there's a little bit of a handicap there that you have to add in. But Weger, for his entire career, has been known as a legit number one defenseman and continues to be now. I don't know why it is that the Flames are trying to sell Maybe it is the term, kind of like what, the, what we're talking about with Colton Pareko, where nationally people are like, wait, Colton Pareko could become available? And locally, we're like, yeah, Colton is available. Um, that's maybe I, that's the same thing with Uyghur. That's why I also got him to say that, because I sure. I, I do think people are, are overlooking that. I'm not even so much interested in the specific name, because I don't know who the guy is going to be this summer. There's going to be somebody that gets moved that we didn't expect. I didn't think last year Mackenzie Weger was going to be traded mm-hmm. for Matthew Kachuk, and then boom, it happened. Whoever that guy is that people deem to be a legit number one defenseman, I would rather hold my assets at the deadline, not get Jacob Chikrin, and then be in play for whoever but that what if, player is this offseason. What if
2: nobody becomes available,
0: Jacob Chikrin's dealt, and then you're left standing when the music stops and no chair? Then so be it. And I would rather then be in that spot with assets still available to me, and I can go then pay, pick players if I need to, as opposed to being potentially stuck with a guy that is a good but not great defenseman that i completely overhauled my blue line to be able to acquire and the opportunity cost is three first round picks maybe it's jimmy snugarud who i think based on everything we've heard has a chance to be a legit top six winger for you but it's
2: always that back and forth because la told arizona you're not getting brant clark from us and we haven't seen it moved you could always come back with another name, and that's the back and forth that you get to. At some point, Bill Armstrong is going to have to move Jacob Chikrin. Um, This is just a difference of opinion with that, because I do deem him a number one defenseman. I view him as a guy, when you go to another team, you're going to have better success than where you're at right now. But it's going to cost you. And all of the assets that you want to use, what do you want to upgrade? Do you want to upgrade the defense and keep the offensive forwards the same way? Or do you want to upgrade that offense, keep the defense in place, maybe still ship somebody
0: out, but give younger guys an opportunity i guess here's the question if i told you that jacob chickren ends up being a left-handed defenseman that is the equivalent goes about it a little differently certainly has more size but is the equivalent in terms of overall talent to justin falk obviously younger as well would you trade all of the assets that we're talking about for a left-handed version of justin falk no i wouldn't because that's how i view him i think justin and that's that's where the difference comes in i think justin falk can be a top pairing defenseman on a legitimate cup contender, I don't think he's the number one defenseman yeah. on a legitimate cup contender. And I guess that's really where the divide is. It's less about the valuation of that kind of player mm-hmm. and more about the evaluation of this specific player yeah. that we're talking about. T-Bone, did you find the audio? I did. Who was
1: the right. top pairing,
5: right? want
0: to hear what he said? Yeah.
1: You know, is he, is he a first pairing guy? Jacob Checkwood is a first pairing guy, absolutely.
0: Interesting.
5: That's not a number one guy. Oh,
1: get the hell out of here. First pairing. pairing guy
0: is a first defenseman. No, I think that Justin Frank Falk is a, is a top pairing guy. guy. I do not think Justin Falk is a legitimate number one defenseman. I think you're like too being... much into it like BK usually does. <laughs> That's fair. Coming up in 15 minutes or hit the rewind, but next in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the
3: BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's In or Out with BK and Ferrario.
2: made me miss
0: it because you insulted me it's okay he messed up and i did read the Center damn update. notes yesterday mom 314-399-9646 we are man? settling our I'm argument sweating. I'm sweating. on twitter random hypothetical which nhl defenseman would you rather add to the blues Mackenzie Weger or jacob chickery i
5: need to go vote for Weegar.
0: i'm on twitter at bksportstock that's where you can find this yeah let's take poll. it to
2: twitter because that'll answer our question
0: where I've solved a lot of my problems in life.
5: <laughs> Mine's the text
2: line. Here, this
0: one comes That's from it. the 636. Guys, in or out, BK is the type of host that demands perfection from his co-host, and yet he himself is far from perfect.
2: Does he demand perfection from us?
0: I don't think he does.
2: I don't think so either.
0: I, sh-
1: I,
2: I don't think anybody here demands perfection. perfection but I, he gives, I'm a realist. He gives off
5: a lot of vibes of which, you know, the old saying of, I'm not upset. I'm disappointed. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know if that's, that's perfection definitely gonna not, be my dad vibe, but I, I I think that's BK
0: not mad. Just disappointed.
5: There are times where I give a take. And even though I know I mean, I'm unless, right, he gives off that vibe. Well, and
2: let's be real. Even if he was demanding perfection, I'm not going to listen to him. So
5: yeah, For apparently me. didn't even read the notes. Last time. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs>
0: to roll this against the damn wall. This one comes from the three, one, four guys in or out. Tanner finds a date before the summer. I yeah. was talking about Tanner's dating life with my wife over the weekend. That's awkward. <laughs>
2: Hey, nice might have a hookup for you.
0: Oh, is that where this went? Do you, are you on dating apps, Nate? Yeah. Are you back on it? Yeah. I, are you active?
5: I hit the grind. Oh, you hit I the hit, grind? Sorry, I hit Tinder. Oh, come on. I shouldn't this say hit was... the grind because I know where that
0: would lead. Yeah, you're on Grinder. It's fine, man. Yeah, I jumped back on there a couple weeks ago. Are you? Yes, sir.
5: How's
0: what it is, working? What is your ideal date? What does that look like? I was trying t- to figure this out for with Karen I honestly didn't know what to say uh, Well, I thought like, uh, Kara was more supportive of me in this dog conversation A at Bush yeah. Stadium Honestly, I said I think that a baseball then, game Would probably be on the list yeah, She says to, no
5: to that, I'm sorry it's And then headed back to his
2: apartment where he'll pick out a video And say I've never seen this before Put it in and fast forward for 15 minutes To see if there's a spot that he likes God, to watch Uncle it Joe. Uh, He seems like Uncle Joe a little bit I don't do that uh, a documentary on oh, yeah, America yeah. or Germany or something like that seems to be <laughs> yeah, He's yeah, going he to show her the like front <laughs>
5: his couch <laughs> Well, you see hey, hey, Oh, I've I got been an, here before I see? got an
2: Ethernet cable
5: Oh, dude, she'd be He's going to invite her in the apartment His this map is my of, new
2: lamp His map of the United States is just going to have like six pins in it And she's not going to be sure if that's where he's been Or if that's where he might have hidden a body
5: Oh, that's hard. Could go either way. <laughs> so, Tanner, what is your ideal? I think I, my date? first, like, uh, ideal, like, first date is that what you're saying? Walk it would probably, the it was probably be something where it's like, go to uh, what's that place called downtown? I'm drawing a blank on it. My list not isn't not, a good not start. the Bush Foundry. Stadium. Not the Foundry. The one across from the Foundry just recently opened. I can't. Oh, okay, armory. No armory. Go somewhere like that where it's just get drinks, hang out, and talk. Not, not like go see a movie because then you're I'm not un- talking. I'm uncomfortable right now. <laughs> maybe go get some fine Italian at Olive Garden. Oh, son of a. And then date 2'll be like McDanks, but that's fine.
0: <laughs> Setting the standard high, huh? Yeah,
5: well, you know, you know, no, you no no you got to set the standard low so she's more impressed
0: by the longer <laughs> so we this date. This is always a what question else? that <laughs> I'm curious about with shorter <laughs> individuals. Okay. he just t- say
5: shorter individuals? <laughs> 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 you know, this you, conversation's over. This is how was her To answer
0: the question uh, out. You are right,
5: he does demand perfection text line. You prefer
0: taller <laughs> or sh- shorter women? I would like, probably it say I you, shorter women. Do, women? I would you, say man. you if you look up. I'm not saying it's right uh, or wrong. I'm just curious. Like, I've never had to ask that question to myself because I'm me, me and Alex are like the same height. We're both about 6'1. <laughs> I probably
5: wouldn't want to look up, so I guess you're right. I guess i <laughs> I'm just
0: curious. Such a weird question. All right, well, looks like you're, you're going right, to struggle bro. a little bit. Here. I'm uncomfortable too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say in your dating profile, it should say, <laughs> I'm short. Just so you know I'm like 5'7. I'm short, but my takes are long. There you go. And I enjoy long walks down the Mississippi River. Just rivers. use yeah. long a lot in your profile. Long walk. Just use the word a long, long documentary. And what you do is I've got all a long Ethernet cable.
2: Long. Yeah. But put quotes it's about around three feet that. Wide. Put quotes around I have wide a long Ethernet cable. Say. Okay? Yeah. Quotation marks. Call Lamb. Could be like or Michael Scott lamp, Um when he made his profile and it said kid lover, because I want the individual to know that I love kids. <laughs>
0: I, I won't put that one on there. Uh, I would stay away from that. <laughs> I have a long Ethernet cable. 314 399 9646. Tanner, we need updates on Did your the dating life over 6 really the really asking Tanner be picky. <laughs> That's just cruel. I mean, are they wrong? I yes. mean, they're not wrong, but you don't say public. How many it dates public, have you been okay? on? T- time out. A couple. Tanner's a good guy. He's yeah. a great guy. Our great boss guy. says that. Yeah. <laughs> great guy. Tanner is a great guy. That's what your profile should say. I would definitely mention that you're on the radio. I, I would like that.
5: Do they though?
2: Yeah. yeah. It's probably letting the individual know you don't make a lot of money.
5: I won't like yeah. that too. You put ESPN next, so but you might find out if it. they're gold diggers or
0: not. You know. All right. From the three, one, four, <laughs> guys in or out. The Blues still trade at least two players from their current roster.
2: By March third, I'm gonna say yeah. out. I don't think you get to 2 and I I understand where they're coming from thinking that you could package a defenseman maybe I would be very surprised if that happens I believe Barbashev's the only one
5: I think I'm out too because I think it's just going to be Barbashev because I don't think they move any of the defensemen I think that's an off-season thing And there doesn't seem to be any like, and I don't know how much buzz you'd really hear about a backup goaltender, but I I don't know if there's much of a market for Thomas Grice. There might be as we get closer to the deadline. I think there's
2: better names available to teams out there than Thomas Grice if they're in the market for goalies.
5: So I I will say out. I I think the only person that gets moved still is Ivan Barbashev.
0: I think that I'm with you guys. I believe that the Blues will trade one of their defensemen. I don't think they're going to be able to do it before March 3rd. I think that's an offseason season move. Um, and then I think they eventually trade for Jacob Chikrin as well. Uh, guys, in or out, the Blues trade up to the top four in this year's NHL draft.
2: Out. They won't need to. They'll get a top four pick with a lottery. Here's, here's the thing. And Corey Pronman broke this down with JR on The Athletic. Um, if a team's selecting in the first four, they're not trading out of it. Because the players that are available in the top four, and he listed them off, are generational players. I mean, Connor Bedard is right there, but there are three other guys. Uh, Adam Fantilli with the Michigan Wolverines right now is another one of those players. There's Leo Carlson playing in Sweden. Who's that guy? Um, These guys are players that it's going to take a lot more than three first-round picks to trade that pick away. So I'm out on this one. Um, If the Blues don't get in the top four, they'll be selecting wherever they're at. Maybe they can move a couple of
0: spots.
5: Yeah, I'm out on this because I don't think they can trade in the top four either because of what you were saying. Could they trade up and get into the top 10 with get two picks in the top 10? I could potentially see that, but I, I don't think you can get into that top four conversation because then I think you'd have to trade all three of your picks. and I don't think they want to do that. Right?
0: Yeah, you're you're either going to be in the top four because that's where you landed with a lottery or you're not getting into the top four. That, Absolutely. that sure seems to be the case this year. Now, I, I do think sometimes we do this going into the draft where it's like, yeah, nobody's going to give up that pick. and. I think if you're number one this year, this is a legitimate. We're not trading this no. for anything. You can McDavid. offer us whatever you want. We are not getting rid of the number one overall pick. The other guys that you mentioned, Alex, maybe like Bedard is generational, where these guys come around once every 10 to 15 years. The other guys are probably just they're really good picks that in any draft, you'd be happy to take them towards the top of mm-hmm. the draft. Maybe something like that ends up getting moved for a, a overwhelming offer. I don't think the blues are going to be the team. that. Makes and that typically
2: offer. the teams that draft in the top five, they know who they're getting. But sure. if a player gets selected before, like let's say the third pick wants the guy that was selected second. Now they get to the point where they say, well, we really wanted that guy. Now do we drop, we trade backwards and get three picks
0: so that we can get more players rather than the one guy that we wanted coming up next. We're at the BK and Ferrario rewind with the leadership core. What does it look like now for the blues without Ryan O'Reilly as a part of it? We'll talk about it next year on one one ESPN.
3: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs.
0: from today's show. Be sure to check out the podcast page. So presented by Dobbs Iron Centers. It's at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 10 minutes or so, we will hand things over to the Fastlane. But before we do, let's hit the BK and Ferrario rewind. Alex, on Saturday, Doug Armstrong was talking with the media, and he was asked about the new leadership core. What does it look like without Ryan O'Reilly? Here's what he had to say
4: it's not going to be what they say, it's going to be how they play and how they, how they act on the ice. Uh, overblown what they say in the room, I, you know, uh, Dave Taylor, who we worked as, as a great line, when someone says, that guy's really good in the room, and he says, well, tell me when they start flooding the room, you know. <laughs> so I just care what they do on the ice, and that's, what I, that's, what I'm going to, that's where I want to see their leadership come through.
0: Alex, if we've seen it once, we've seen it a million different times. People are all asking who's going to be the next captain. Now that Ryan O'Reilly's gone, who's going to be the next captain of the St. Louis Blues? I have said from day one, basically, of us having these conversations, I think it's Braden Shinn. I think that's who it will be. I think that's who it should be. Do you feel that way, Mm -hmm. and how do you feel about the leadership core now that you no longer have Ryan O'Reilly around?
2: Part of me wondered if they wouldn't give a C to somebody right away because, Doug Armstrong said, you kind of want to see how they perform on the ice, and I don't believe they'll give give one to a player this season. It'll be in the offseason, but Braden Shen is the captain, in my opinion, unless they view it differently. Braden Shen, who's going to be here for, what is it, the next four or five seasons his contract goes through, um, he's been... The second to the captain, if I can name him that, to Ryan O'Reilly. He's been
0: the heart and soul of this team. absolutely. Since he was acquired. And
2: and Keith Kachuk was never a captain, but you always looked at him like he was the captain. Like I remember when Eric Brewer was named the captain, people were like, what the hell are they doing? Keith Kachuk's a captain. Sometimes guys just don't want to be named the captain. They're just the unsung heroes and they do what they need to do. Uh, The conversations before it was Petra. Was it Alexander Steen? Was it uh, Colton Pareko? Or was it going to be Braden Shen? I think it'll be Braden Shen. He is the captain and he's the guy that you're going to be looking at moving forward. But with that being said, Everyone else, when it comes to the guys wearing the A's, I, I would imagine they're kind of all put on call this rest of the season because Doug Armstrong is going to like see it has nothing to do with what you guys are saying in the locker room and everything to do with how you're performing on the ice. Braden Shen gives it every single night. Those guys are going to be the leadership
0: core. Yeah, I, I would say that the guys are that are in the conversation right now. I, I would guess um, nothing more. Thomas Pareko, Falk. No. I, I, yeah,
2: Lynn Shen. Shins yeah, the said, shin yeah. would be
0: the one that I would, I would expect to be the captain and then the guys that are yeah, at least under consideration right now for the a would be mm-hmm. those three yeah um and maybe that changes depending on what happens either at the yeah. deadline or as we get uh, certainly into the offseason but that's kind of how i would assume that it would look right now H- how do you feel about that alex when, when you're looking at the the leadership core because i think that's been a conversation all year is yeah. do the blues have the leadership that is necessary I would like to see them this offseason. I know they're talking about how many young players they want to continue adding to the core. I I don't want them to fall into the trap, though, of going too young, mm-hmm. of getting rid of a Braden Shin, getting rid of a Justin Falk, not adding any veterans to the group. I think when you have that, I you know I'm a numbers guy. I do think there is real chemistry, though, that exists, and I think having veterans in that room is is valuable. I think when you look at teams like the uh, Detroit Red Wings for years, they they didn't have any red uh, veterans in that room. I think it's a problem uh, down in Arizona. I think it was a problem. The NBA has had this problem for the last five to seven years where teams will tank, not add any veterans to the mix. And then they're like, Hey, why aren't any of our young players developing? Because they don't know how to be pros. Mm-hmm. You need somebody there to show them this is what it's like on a day-to-day basis. You had that with O'Reilly. You had that with Perron. I think you still have that with Braden Shin. Uh, you had that with Steiner I think here. you have that with Brandon sod still. I think you need those guys to round. I, I don't think you can completely go too
2: young. Uh, I... I... To answer your question, I don't feel great about that leadership core because of what we've seen the last few seasons. That's been your leadership core, Falk and Thomas and Shen and Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly. Two of those have been traded away. Now you've been thrusted upon these guys. The problem is you're still struggling. Now, again, this has been a weird season, but I don't feel great about it. I think out of the guys that we named, you're probably going to see one of them moved, so that you can bring in somebody else. You need to bring in a different voice. That was that quote that Doug Armstrong said that resonated so much with me on Saturday. He said, when a team hits adversity, they got to have a foundation to fall back on so it doesn't snowball. This season, they don't have that foundation. You got to go find one of those foundation pieces, and that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, look how long it took for you to get Alexander Steen in that role, uh, Alex Petrangelo in that role, David Backus in that role. You can't just trade for that guy because you have to, to get kind of involved in that locker room, but that's going to Justin
0: d- Falk. Justin Falk, the first year, wasn't a leader in the group. He's talked about this. Not this yeah. is not my assumption. This is him saying that first year I, it was an acclamation period, well, and yeah. then after time, I I did feel like I could voice things a little bit more. Now he has grown in terms of his leadership role within the, the locker room. I think that's something that you need to, to develop over time as well.
2: That's going to be the toughest task out of anything this offseason for Doug is to find one of those pieces that can come in and be a voice.
0: He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Carlo Koliakavo, two years ago now, three, almost three years ago, told us if the Blues let Alex Petrangelo walk, they're going to spend the next seven, five to seven years trying to find his replacement. Carlo joins us tomorrow on the show to talk about where the Blues stand right now. We'll do that tomorrow. Fastlane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
3: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.